Hey, welcome back everyone to the newest episode of Tavern Talk. I'm your host, Dylan Allman, and today I had a really fun conversation with my buddy Sal Mayweather. Talked about tons of different things ranging from cryptocurrency to the state uh, to what it's like being a state enforcer, all that kind of stuff. Really interesting stuff. I, I want to take this time before the episode started to remind everyone that we do have a Patreon where you can go and support the show if you wish. I would very much appreciate it. It's not cheap keeping everything, the setup up and, and, and all this stuff. So very much appreciated. We've got some really cool rewards over there and everything like that. So um, that is always an option. But our guest, Sal Mayweather, he is the host of the show, The Agora. He's all over social media, meme god, all that kind of stuff. You're really going to enjoy this one. I guarantee it. So here's the show. Boom. Recording. Perfect. Oh, what are you drinking there? San Pellegrino, as always. Oh, I've got... I've got juice. It's kind of lame, but it's, I got, so I ordered the other day and I just got pumpkin spice flavored hot chocolate and I'm so excited to, to drink it, even though that's like super basic white girl shit. But yeah, I don't ever, like I go to Starbucks once a year and it's just to get that pumpkin spice shit just because it's good, but I can't have too much of it. I get the really tiny one, and I'm like a couple sips, and I'm like, that's good. It's enough Starbucks for the year. Shit's way too expensive. Dude, I should buy stock in Starbucks. I spend, they, they keep me upright, Starbucks. Really? Yeah, it's bad. I'm there like twice a day, minimum. Jesus, <laughs> yeah. man. What do you normally well, now, get? Now, like, I, I just moved. I, I only drink iced coffee, but I just moved, actually, and now I'm like further away. From a Starbucks, I had a Starbucks right across the street from me where it was up north, but now I'm in Florida and I have one. I have to go like three, four miles out of the way, so I'm like, fuck it, I'll just make my own coffee now. So that's what I've been doing. Oh, that's good. Much more cost efficient as well. I didn't realize. Real. I didn't realize how cost efficient it was to make your own fucking tea, dude. Like, I used to get like buy the gallons of tea at like Walmart when I'd go shopping. It'd be like three bucks for a gallon or something. And when you make your own, it's like three bucks for like enough tea bags to make like forty pitchers. And it's like yeah. wow. Pro I'm tip. Only oh. do that. <clears throat> Pro tip. I, I, I like to grow my own I, what I do is I grow chamomile and I grow lavender. I grow a bunch of shit. But I, I specifically grow lavender and chamomile for the purpose of making lavender chamomile tea, which is fucking phenomenal. I can't get enough of the shit. And I was spending like ten dollars for like a little tin of it i think it's called like ts the tea they make it so good so i was like you know instead of spending 10 bucks and getting like three cups of tea i'm gonna just like grow this shit on my own and now i have like jars of this shit that i just like it's just sitting in my cabinet now so grow your own food dude you could sell you could start selling it too i know i'd have to i'd have to go to like some libertarian festival to do it <laughs> start your own libertarian festival I know, I know, I know. Well, but I mean, they, have you ever been to Portfest? No, the, oh, man, I've always wanted to. That sounds so fun. I know. It's you like, been? 
oh yeah yeah i go all the time it's it's a fucking blast but like that's the kind of place where they do shit like that dude i'd love to go up and like live in new hampshire with all those guys. i know i'm thinking about it to be honest with you. i just got to florida and i'm like already thinking about where i'm going to be next but uh, <laughs> new hampshire's always been on my list ever since i went to port fest the first time i've always like it's always been the back of my head you know yeah and they've got it i mean their website like freaking sells you man and it's like man i really want to have you ever been there? there no i've never been there i've just it seems Gordon. like it's really cold, but I'm but I like cold weather because then you can wear just my style is wearing more clothes. Like right. Jackets and shit. And you can't do that in like fucking bumfuck Louisiana where you yeah, walk outside okay. and you're already wet. <laughs> yeah, but you know what though, like you say that but when when you get like six feet of snow you're like, fuck this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it definitely goes both ways, I'm sure. I used to live in Texas. And that was like dry ass heat. It'd be like 110, and it would just be dry as fuck. But it was so windy. That's the thing about Texas. It's just the wind. Oh my god, man! Like you, if on a windy day you could step outside and barely be able to stand up. Texas, I've never been to. I was gonna go to Spearco. Jack Spearco, um, co-host Unloose the Goose with me. He's having like this. Uh, he does like this thing at his house every year for the, his show, the, the Survival Podcast. So I was supposed to go, but <clears throat> with the move and everything, it was just too chaotic, too hectic. So I, I passed on it. But I'm, I'm going to try to go next year. But I got a ton, tons of friends down there who everybody loves Texas. Apparently, like that's like supposedly one of the better places to be. But I'll tell you what, I just got to Florida, man. <laughs> I have no complaints whatsoever about this place. Really? I've got no income tax. I've got. Uh, concealed carry there's medical marijuana here there's no mask laws there's no mandatory muzzles or anything like that mm. compared to where i came from this is like a, a breeze you know so florida but i i do want to check out texas for sure and new hampshire yeah florida always when you look at like the uh lists of rankings of most free states in the u.s it's always yeah. either one number one or number two right so like i bet that's nice Dude, when I sell 3D printers, uh, the best state, like you, like the best place to have your customers in, is in uh, Florida because there's no income tax. Mm -hmm. So, like, yeah, if I sell Texas to, like, the same. Well, yeah, if I sell to like a customer, like if you buy a 3D printer for me and you're like in a state with a high income tax, that eats into a huge amount of my costs. You know, I have to I have to pay that. It comes out of my pocket. So, like, I love to sell to people in Florida and New Hampshire because the income tax is lower, non-existent. Mm -hmm. And that's more money in my pocket, you know, so right. I'm just supposed to show you. Like, okay, so I've never, I've always seen stuff about 3D printers, but I've never actually, like, used one in person. But it seems so cool. Like, what, how does it work? Like, it's got the material, and then you get the plans online, and then it just, like, makes the shit with the material. Like, it's, like... Yeah, yeah. I know, like, stuff can be really durable with it and everything, too, right? Oh, absolutely. In fact, somewhere around here, I have my wallet that I printed, like, five years ago from... Oh, uh, you printed TP. your wallet? Yeah, yeah, from, like, a flexible, like, a rubbery sort of plastic. It's called TPU. But this shit is extremely durable. Like, if I wanted to rip it, I would not be able to. If I wanted to break it in half, I couldn't. <clears throat> um, yeah, it's great. You can make all kinds of shit. It's basically just like you said. You buy the machine, and you have the filament that gets that gets guided into the machine. It hits a nozzle where 
it extrudes at a, at a high temperature, and it mm -hmm. does one layer, does another layer, and then before you know it, you have a whole um, object. And you can print with all kinds of this stuff, too, by the way. It doesn't have to be, I mean, it's always some, it's either plastic or some composite of a plastic, like wood or carbon fiber, or, uh, you know, there's different exotic materials you could use now. But, I mean, the possibilities are really endless, you know. Yeah. It's, like, rather cheap, right? Yeah, yeah, you can get like uh, like an Ender Three is like the basic model for like libertarians, and that like starts around two hundred dollars. Yeah, of course you can go as high as you want, you know, depending on how nice of a printer you want. But yeah, two hundred dollars is not bad if you think about it. And like to, to secure your your gun rights for the rest of your lifetime, so that no mm -hmm. politician can ever take that away from you, that's a small price to pay. I mean, we we you know libertarians we spend thousands of dollars on Bitcoin and. Fucking Monero and shit like that, and like exactly. two hundred dollars on a printer is like nothing for us. So it seems kind of silly in hindsight. In the material, like how expensive is that? It depends. Um, it really depends on what you're printing with, right? You can get like regular right. PLA, EBS. Um, we sell them for like forty bucks a roll at three D printer go burr, but you can get them if you look. You can find deals and shit like that. Like I said, that you can like get more exotic shit. Like you can print with marble. Like one time we um, wow, what? How does that yeah, work? It's like not like it's not one hundred percent marble. Obviously, it's like right. a composite of plastic and marble. But we made like uh, I printed a statue of Edward Snowden one time. I gave it to my friend. <laughs> I like it was really cool. Um, possibilities are endless, man. We we would print like net cups for aquaponics. Obviously, you can print guns and shit like that. So <clears throat> I really like it. It's like it's not even just like. Um, a libertarian thing it's also just kind of like a hobby yeah once you like get into the hang of it like you just kind of like it sort of gets it gets like a, a addictive you know yeah just making shit finding the plans like like ooh, let's try out this cool new thing that's yeah, awesome someone posts like new plans for like something or you see like something that you haven't printed yet or that that you well that you want to print you know what i mean mm -hmm. thingiverse is a great repository by the way if anybody's out there listening they want to check it out check out thingiverse.com where you can find like all the different files to download all sorts of neat shit yeah i saw um cody wilson's website the def cab yeah it just has like yeah. a shit ton of plans for different gun yeah. parts and all that stuff like that's cool. I, I contributed to that. Now, I think, right? What? I think he he sells them now for like a dollar or something like that. It's like the way that he gets around it is you pay as much as you want to pay. Right. So right. it's like a, like a kind of a donation thing. Right. So he doesn't get in trouble for like selling it. It's because they said he couldn't give them away. So he yeah, you can't give them away for free. You can't sell them. So just give them away for whatever price they want. It's fucking free weird. speech, right? Free speech. I wonder, I wonder what would happen if you stood in front of like uh, Nancy Pelosi, and you you verbalized like verbally like said the code for the STL file to me. Like if you were just like if you just repeated the code out loud, like would you go to jail? So like Dude, Cody Cody Wilson can't give them away for free. So what if you gave them to me for free verbally? Would you like isn't that a violation of your free speech? Like I want to see somebody do it just to like see what these idiots do. It's so freaking arbitrary, man. Like it it really because it'll be like, oh, it's a free speech issue, and they're like, oh, but it's like it's different. It's like it's fucking. It's not different. It's really not. Like at the fundamental level, that's all it is. It's just the the free exchange of literal 
data. It's literally words. It's it's literal like like verbal verbalized words. And for that to be illegal, I mean, you're going back to the days of like John Adams and the the Sedition Act. Yeah, that's exactly what I mean. They they they're just trying to bring back the Sedition Act under a different term. And notice how um, Trump had that tweet. Well, I forget what the exact how he worded it. Something like I don't like 3D printed guns or not a good idea or something like yeah. that. Yeah. He's like talking to uh, the NRA. Doesn't seem like a yeah. good idea. It's like it's fuck like, the NRA. You don't like it. You're gonna ban speech, and then like you have these small government conservatives who're trying to like blow them. Like it's just fucking nuts to me. It's insane. Well, it's just when you give them an inch, they take a mile, and they're trying to take that yeah. inch because it's like, well, yeah, it's speech, but like. Look at the possible consequences for this. And that can convince a lot of people. Like, it has convinced a lot of people. Right. So then they're like, okay, so let's ban this. And then it's like, okay, well, what about, like, this really hurtful stuff that people share online? Like, this can I mean, have if we're consequences. Gonna ban, if we're going to ban speech because it's dangerous, we should start with the speeches that politicians give. Because that results in the deaths of thousands of people, right? Exactly. Every declaration of war is, is, by that definition, more dangerous than any file Cody Wilson or Ivan ever came up with. So, I mean, who the hell are these people that tell us what's dangerous and what's not as they're going around the world on their, their murderous sprees? Like, it's insane to me. Like, it's so hypocritical. It's so obvious to see through their nonsense. And it's really just about like maintaining power and control over us. I don't see how people fall for it anymore. But I guess after decades of public schooling, you know, everything sort of comes into focus. Exactly. But that's the thing. We all fell for it at one point. Like, you, you get to a point where you're like, oh, wait, this is all bullshit. But you have to get to that point first. So it seems – that's just so weird because it seems so incredibly obvious now. But it's, like, not to, the, to everyone else because of, you know, the years of all of the – Conditioning, you know, conditioning, syndrome. brainwashing, <clears throat> all that stuff. And it's like, yeah, like it, you know, they're fucking wrong. But it's like, I, I, I just, I have a lot of sympathy for people because you see people like actually expressing this Stockholm syndrome and advocating for things that you know that if they understood the actual implications of it, they wouldn't be advocating right. for it anymore. I agree with it's you. like, fuck. Like, that just makes me feel like shit, man. I agree with you. I think, um, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's definitely a fine line there because you're right. They are, they, they, in, a, in a certain sense, they definitely are victims. Mm -hmm. um, but it still, but it doesn't absolve you of the right, things exactly. that you do. Right. right, right, right. So like, yeah, they're victims, but when they go and they vote on my paycheck and they voted away from me, mm -hmm. I don't think that absolves them of the guilt. I don't know. You're you're, you're definitely onto something, but yeah, it doesn't. It, it, it. If I would look at someone who was like, "Fuck you and your paycheck," I'm gonna steal this from you so I can benefit. And someone who's like, "Oh, I just want to help society and all this," even though their actions are the same. Like, their intentions are different, and even though what they're both doing is wrong, I still look at them slightly differently. I still have a sliver of sympathy or compassion for that person that doesn't understand. You know, like, the kid growing up or, like, the teenager that's like, I'm going to be FBI agent, and I'm going to help out, and I'm going to get these bad guys and all this. Like, they don't 
they don't know. And so it's like, yeah, what do you do? Because you're advocating for bad stuff, you're doing bad stuff, but you just have no idea. And you know that that person's intentions are good. You know that they're otherwise a good person. But that overwhelming amount of like statism and conditioning around them is like making them do these horrible things or not making them but it like influencing them or manipulating them i don't know i it just for me obviously there's a line of like these are the you know these things are bad but i just that 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 people person in me still kind of right. has a little bit of compassion i guess <clears throat> you're right i think that like I don't know. I, I think that in, in the, when it really comes down to it and you have the opportunity to really speak to somebody on like a one-on-one -on -one level, mm -hmm. you'll find that like they have a lot of sympathy toward, towards the libertarian position, but they're probably just naive as to what it entails, right? So, and that goes for leftists and rightists, by the way, too. Like, if you actually like speak to somebody and you're like, do you really think you have the right to tell me, you know, how much I can work for, how much I'm worth on an hourly basis? Like your average leftist, when you break it down to them like that, they're going to be like, no, of course I don't. And your average Republican, if you're like, do you really think you can send my kids to go fight and to, to, to die in another country against their will? Eventually, like, like a decent person, any decent person will come to the, to accept the idea that, no, I don't have the right to do that. What I don't like is when you lay it out for somebody and they continue to behave this way. Oh, yeah. Um. I'll give you an example. Like, so my sister, right? Her, my, my brother-in-law is like an IT tech in Manhattan and he just doesn't like his job. I guess he doesn't like his boss or whatever, the commute, I don't know. So what he's trying to do is he's trying to become like um, a cop with the New Jersey state troopers, mm. right? I hope he doesn't watch this. And I'm just like, <laughs> I'm just like, dude, I'm like, you have to understand like these people, nobody wants to hire you. No one wants to pay you to do that job. I mean, that's the whole point of being a police officer. No one, like, if someone asked you or me to come to work, it's because they we go because we were asked. Mm -hmm. No one asked you to sit inside the, the road and write people tickets, you know. And like, you spell it out for somebody, and they still do it, and it's like, ah, it's kind of hard to see the morality. And if you're if you know what you're doing is wrong, it's hard mm -hmm. to see how it could be a morally righteous position, you know. Oh no, of course. But even even then, I still give a little bit to people like that because it really depends. Like if I'm having a conversation with someone and I just keep pushing and keep pushing and then that that wall of dissonance starts to, you know, get a little bit of a chisel in it, a little bit of crack, then all that defensiveness just starts pouring in because their entire life they right, yeah. believed something that yeah is wrong and the same thing happens with like you know super religious people and so they might be like okay fine like yeah you're right it's fucking wrong or whatever but they don't they don't believe that right like, right they're still they're still brainwashed into thinking so if someone genuinely is like what i'm doing is wrong and they feel it and they understand and they keep doing it fuck that person if someone is like on the fence and they're like ah oh, like it seems like it's wrong but i'm not sure and then they're just kind of like skeptical and they kind of do it still it's like okay now you're getting to that point where it's like okay you need to make a change in your life because 
you're starting to get to the point where you're doing something you know is wrong. No doubt. Like that's when I feel like the person needs to take the step to it really evaluate on, what they're doing. Also depends on what level of, of wrong you're, you're, what level of evil you're committing, right? So like mm -hmm. the janitor at a public school, yeah, he's he's in receipt of stolen funds. I don't want to pay that guy with my tax dollars, but I am. That's sure. not nearly as bad as like an ATF agent burning down like a church, right? Right. That's yeah. that's clearly two different levels. On oh yeah, you know Absolutely. what I mean. Like, I don't care if you've been told that that's wrong. You need to know that you don't, you know, shoot children and shit like that, and dogs and puppies. That oh, yeah. you know anybody can figure that out. So I don't have nearly as much against the janitor at like the <laughs> courthouse exactly. as I do atf agent yeah no i feel that it there's there's a lot or i mean most situations when it comes to like enforcers where it's like yep that's a shitty person like almost yeah, right. a, yeah. like almost all the time it's like okay like you're just fucking that person's life over yeah what wh why you right. know or you're just killing even, that even person the ones where they're like even like when you like i don't know where you you know where you grew up but like weed was always le illegal when i grew up so it was always like that cop's not that bad. He caught me smoking pot and he just threw the joint in the ground and stepped on it. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, but he still fucking robbed you. <laughs> yeah. He still got robbed. Like, what do you mean he's not that bad? Imagine if, like, I just took your money, ripped it up, and you're like, yeah, that's not a bad guy, you know? Yeah, he didn't, he didn't steal it. <laughs> right, he didn't steal it. He just ripped it up on me. It's like the, the you know, the mob boss just walked into my shop and he only gave me one black eye. Like, right, yes, right. He didn't you know, cut my whole head off. <laughs> You know, I make a, it's like a similar argument for like voters and shit that I give them. It's like, <clears throat> well, you're, well, we have to change the system from the inside. I'm just like, you're right, you're right, yeah, yeah. Like I'm gonna, I intend on changing the mafia the same way. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna join the mob. And I'm gonna take the oath of Omerita, and then I'm gonna work my way up. I'm gonna murder and kill and steal for my whole career, and then one day I'll be, I'll get close enough to being the boss where I can then change the mob from the inside out. Does that sound like a logically consistent idea? Like, it's just, it's just crazy to me. Fuck. I'm, but the thing is, like, it's crazy to us. But then, like, people have had this system for the entire lives. And they don't know anything different. So, like, their first inclination is, let's get that guy in office. He'll yeah. fucking change things. <clears throat> and it's like, good luck getting that guy in office. Yeah. Like, it's not going to happen. We have we of, have what like one two two decent congressmen out of like five hundred and thirty two or five hundred thirty four whatever it is yeah two and that's like, and that's and that's like usually two's a lot like usually yeah Ron Paul that was it you know <laughs> now we have Massey and, and Amash um it's did you see that one tweet did you see that one tweet oh, fuck what was his name what was his name he was a senator. And he basically was like, democracy is fucking terrible. Did you see that? It was no. like, oh, man, you're going to love it. But uh, say what you're going to say. I'm going to find it. Um, it reminds me of, of Anthem by Ayn Rand. Mm -hmm. Did you ever read that book? Uh, I, haven't, I haven't read all the way through it, no. Essentially, like, they're all just mindless drones. Like, like you know, it goes back to how you were saying, you're, when you're born into the system, you're sort of just like, ingrained into this Stockholm Cindy sort of life. Mm -hmm. And like, it really reminds me of Ayn Rand's anthem, how they're all just like these like mindless drones who can't even think. And it's just like, they're just placed into this box by the state. And like, that's sort of what it is, you know? And then it's like that, 
It's only that very few, like the very rare individual who's able to break through. Um, I can't think of the character's name. It was like a quality, whatever. If you read the book, you know what I'm talking about. But yeah, remind, that, that, that's sort of what it, what you, when you were speaking of like these people born into this nonsense and they're just like mm -hmm. embedded into their brain. That's what it reminded me of. Yeah, it's like uh, Brave New World where they just have everything assigned to them. They're just completely desensitized yeah, exactly. to like all negative emotion and free thought and individualism. That shit fucking sucks. They made they started making a TV show for it on that um, Peacock streaming platform. I watched the first three episodes. It's kind of good. I like it. Of Brave New World. Yeah, they made they're making no a TV show. Mm -hmm. They have the whole first season out, and it's like. Um, it's really good so far. It's really cool. I was watching it with my girlfriend. And I was like, "See, Where is that? Where is see, that that's bad." <laughs> you gotta send me that link. DM the link to me. I want to check that out. It's on um, NBC's new streaming platform, Peacock. It's like the first three episodes are free, but then you have to subscribe for like five bucks a month to get the rest. I'll send it to you. But it's like, it's really cool. I watched I watched the first three free ones, and I'm I'm about to like get the seven day free trial and just binge it are you <laughs> just just watch all of them yeah exactly and then the free trial ends and it's like oh i watched what i wanted to watch the only there thing on the platform there you so, go so senator mike lee he tweeted democracy uh, okay. isn't the objective liberty peace and prosperity are we want the human condition to flourish rank democracy can thwart that and yeah, i was like, like wow. one of the good guys exactly and I was like, yeah. wow, a sitting federal senator is like, fuck democracy. It's like, whoa. Mike Lee, awesome. he's on our team. Mm -hmm. He's one of like the few um, libertarians who's actually in the Senate, like a real libertarian, I want to say. Even though sometimes he strays, but like, I mean, think about it. In the Senate, you have what? You have Rand Paul, Mike Lee. Sometimes you got that Democrat ron wyden from oregon sometimes he votes with them when it comes to like national surveillance shit like that ron wyden's on our side but that's it mm. and in the house it's literally just massey and amash um namash is about to leave yeah he's about to leave there was um every now and then you get a you get a decent congressman from like one of the southern states but that doesn't last long um there was like a democrat from florida alan grayson or something like that and like he was he was really progressive and like I didn't like a like I didn't like a lot of things he said, but he made this like speech against the Federal Reserve and he voted to audit it, which made nice. me love him. And <laughs> then they just pri they just primaried him right out. Like the DNC like felt betrayed, so they just primaried the poor guy right out of office. So it's like as soon as you get one of these decent people in there, they just do everything possible to run them out. Look what the Republicans did to a mosh. Mm -hmm. You know, they just, just like yeah. turned into an outcast. That's what they're trying to do to Massey. That's why Massey has to toe the line so much. Same thing with Rand Paul. They have to like, they take one, like two steps towards a libertarian position and then one step towards Trump. And two steps towards a libertarian position and one step towards Trump. They have to sort of balance that like out to keep getting elected. And it's, it's mm -hmm. just, it, it's the whole problem with, the, with party politics in general. Yeah, because it's like, you can't make a difference unless you... Right. Unless you like conform a little bit, and then that little bit of conforming it, like fucks it up. It's just man, the whole it fucking sucks. And then even Massey sometimes will just get so fed up that he just can't not That's speak. Why I like tell people, I'm like, 
become your own bank, buy Bitcoin, get a 3D printer and grow your own food because political solutions are failures. They will not work. It never has worked. It never is going to work. Get the idea out of your head and start thinking for yourself and like what you can do to bring about liberty for yourself in your lifetime because no politician is going to voluntarily hand you your freedom, right? No slave master willingly cuts his slaves' chains. Yeah, you, and it's like those same people will point to political victories and be like, but look, we got this and this. And it's like, do you understand how much work had to be put in to get that one little political right. victory? But then right. in the background, it's like 15 losses. Right. It's like, it's not, it's not viable. It's really not. And you put so much effort into this one win when you could have taken that effort and put it into something not political, had 20 wins, and then just taken right. those 16 losses or something like or that. Or it's like, that you know, sense. like, um, what was that? Oh, Heller was the name of the case. It was the uh, the DC uh, handgun case where it was like, uh, the Supreme Court ruled that you can't ban like open carry in, in, in the District of Columbia, something like that. I forget the exact case. And everyone was like celebrating and what a win. It was like finally so the Supreme Court upheld the Constitution. And I'm just like, yeah, but guys, like like for an agorist, this is just nothing because we never were, we didn't give a shit about that law anyway. Exactly, <laughs> like we were hunting yeah. guns in DC long before the Heller decision was ever made. So like forget about what these and I, I like the term that, that Erwin Schiff used, forget about forget about these nine lunatics in bat suits and what they have to say or what these lunatic congressmen or mass murdering senator, the psychopaths in the White House, these people belong in like a mental asylum. Forget about what, what they say and what, forget about what their opinions are as to your freedom and just take, what, take what's naturally yours, you know? Every single individual is born with liberty by virtue of being a human being. So forget about the bullshit that the politicians try to use to restrict that and all the rhetoric and, and nonsense that they try to use to like oppress you and hold that down because all it is is bullshit mm -hmm. it's not even real yeah it's crazy how it's crazy how fake it is like it it really bothers me how fake it and how obviously fake it is with everything i mean just like you, you know you just listen to nancy pelosi talk for like two minutes and you're like this isn't a person it's <laughs> it's not no i've seen i've seen dogs who can communicate better right it's like did you see that thing she did where she just sort of like cocked her head like a confused dog and she's like all of a sudden she went to like wizard mode and she's like sunday morning sunday yeah morning. what the fuck was that did that ever get an explanation no 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 it was like the lizard mentality coming out of her brain how do you just brush that off like i that's that's one of the things that really bothers me is the amount that people just just brush off that politicians do. They could say the most wild shit. They could do the most wild shit. They could contradict themselves the next day after they say something. And people will just be like, well, it's what we got. It's right. Just... Yeah. And it's like, no, that's not okay. It's so it's bad. Not... These people have so much power over you and to they're lunatics. Worse, like the people. So like, it's obviously divvied up amongst left and right. So like the people on the left will be betrayed by their, their ideologues, right? Their politicians, and they'll continue to support them. Then the people on the right will be betrayed by Republican politicians and ideologues, and they'll continue to support them. 
it's like if, if you can support these people when they don't even they're not even proclaiming to uphold the same views as you anymore and you still support them that's called a cult that's not even like you, you've moved past religion now now you're into like the realm of cult mm-hmm. um when donald trump goes against the second amendment and you have these boot-looking fuds like trying to deep throat him and shit like that or when kamala harris and trust me i think she's the one thing she got right in the whole debate was when she said that fracking isn't, you know, they should, the market should determine fracking and shit like that. She doesn't actually believe that. She's just saying it to, to appeal to like the more moderate wing of the Democratic Party and the and independence. But like these far left voters hear that and they feel betrayed. And the next day they go out and they're like, Kamala 2020. You're like, it's just like, you people are in a fucking cult. Like, get it into your head. You're like, you're hostages. Yeah, like life isn't that binary. It's not like support someone that doesn't hold the views that you do or support the orange guy. It's like it's not it's not that binary. Life is way more nuanced than that. Like, come on, man. Embrace the counter economy because it's 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 all freedoms for everyone all the time, no matter what. So, like, just embrace the agora, you know. Yeah, you definitely you had a you had a big impact on selling me on that because in the past I was always I was the kind I was the guy that was like we just got to we just got to infiltrate the minds of these people and get them to stop believing in authority and then the state will just dissolve on its own and it's like that that will not fucking happen. Are you kidding me? Like it takes me like 20 hours of conversation to to get one person to change their mind about that like there's billions of people you know there's hundreds of millions in the u.s alone that's not gonna work it's not that's and i think that's really the strength of of conkin's whole theory is that we don't need to educate them right who cares what these people think because in the end of the day the, the economy market the market always wins right the, the economy will always seize the day so um you know 3d printers were are always going to be there they're always in the open the public domain bitcoin will always be there people are always going to choose to use if given the option they'll choose to use a sound money mm-hmm. so just let the market function let it work and it doesn't matter because eventually just by the sheer profit motive, people are going to be incentivized to stop using fiat currency and they're only going to want to use sound money. Um, you know, just by virtue of oppression, they're going to eventually, they're going to have to uh, respect 3D printing technology and all of these different, these different decent, these decentralizing technologies like tokenization and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. We just let the market work. Economics will, will sort of seize the day. And that's really the strength of what Conkin was talking about, you know, Mm-hmm. like who That's cares the- if they understand like the, the monetary theory as long as they know hey look if i use dollars my money goes down if i use bitcoin and gold it goes up right that's, that's the difficult important. thing is creating an actual economic technology or practice that not only um like subverts the state's authority but is also efficient enough for people who don't give a shit about the state's authority to actually adopt it. And that's the difficult thing because like you you're not going to get enough people that are like, "Oh, I'm going to use Bitcoin because it's sound money and 
it subverts the state's authority. Well, yeah, you're going to get right, people right. use Bitcoin because it's good because it. Right. You know what I mean? Now, like, don't forget that. Like, look at like the examples of like Uber or like mm -hmm. Airbnb. Like, look what they did to like, the taxi cartels or the hotel exactly. cartels. Just by sheer nature of them providing a higher quality product at a cheaper cost, mm -hmm. we were able to disintermediate all of the all those regulations. Um, I think the same thing's going to happen with with Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and three D printing and tokenization. Like, I, 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 I'm anybody who listens to my show or reads reads my my articles and my blog is they're familiar with like how bullish I am on tokenization, and that's another one. It's another great example of what we're talking about because I think that tokenization of securities and assets is sort of inevitable because it's going to make um, it'll make it easier not only for people to tokenize existing businesses, uh, but it's also going to make it easier for people like you and I to become shareholders. Mm -hmm. So rather than like take your business and make it make make an IPO and go public on the Dow Jones or the Nasdaq, now you can just create your own token on the blockchain. Uh, and then sell those tokens around, you know, on, on like something like a decentralized exchange and making it super simple for people to buy shares and invest in your company. And there's no way that they're going to be able to stop that. Why the hell would you pay these brokerage fees when you don't have to? Why would you pay these, um, you know, the SEC's registration fees and all these, all this nonsensical red tape coming from FINRA? Why you just go right around it by using the blockchain. So that's another good example of what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. But they'll try, and they already are. Oh, yeah, they have to get there. They have to get there early on, and they have to convince people that this is like bad. This is evil yeah. technology. Criminals are going to use it. You got to go through our system because we have your best interest in mind. Exactly. We're going to make sure that you're safe. And it's like fucking liars. <laughs> it's not even remotely right. the truth. That was their mistake with Bitcoin. They sort of like, it was only like up to five years ago. They were like, that's not even, that's just pretend. That's not even real. That's like fake mm. money. And now they're like. Now they're screwed. See, I'm sure. Like, I don't know. You do? Yeah. Now, like now it's, it's too late basically for them. You know, that's why they're like offering rewards for people who can crack Monero. And like, it's insane. Like they're like all these exchanges now, like I think Binance was the last one. They're all KYC now. Like, they're really playing catch up. And I think that they're going to, um, the, the fact of the matter is technology, the market's much more efficient. So like we move exactly. quicker than they do. They're very slow and like, they're very like lethargic. Whereas entrepreneurs respond to demand much more quickly than bureaucrats will respond to political pressure. Mm -hmm. That was, that was a point that, um, Cody made in, um, the, um, the documentary that I love so much, the uh, the new radical, fucking love that documentary, man. I come back to it like, you know, once or twice a year just to just to watch it. It's so well made, and I just love listening to Cody talk. Like it, it really hurts that he got caught for that bullshit, and now it's really difficult for him to like actually be the head icon. For this movement because he yes, is doing such that. a good job <clears throat> such a good job but he can't get invited on to even even to get even to get like because he used to go on like cnn and then just get like dogged on for the whole 20 minute interview but he can't even get that now because he's this registered sex offender and they don't want anything to do with him and it's right it that, that was the whole point of, of making these false 
uh, accusations. They, they did the same thing to Julian Assange. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, Dude, that I, shit I pisses me off. The, the, the greatest honor you can get is to be accused of a sex crime by the FBI because that just means that you've done something excellent to, like, stop the government. Like, you know, it's like the same thing, like, they say the most, uh, the highest award a journalist can get is to be assassinated by the CIA. <laughs> same thing, you know? Yeah. Like, activists, you want to be accused of a sex crime by the FBI because that's how you know you're, you're making an impact. You're really scaring them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, <clears throat> I mean, if you want to get desensitized by, like, how fucking stupid most laws are i mean just look at cody's situation i mean he went on he went on a dating website and had a girl lie about her age they went and did it it was a fed she was a fed too who lied about her age wasn't she she was working with the fed no 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 not even that she lied about her age she said she was 18 they went and did their thing and Months went by, months went by, and he said that he got a message from her friend saying, hey, her parents found out, and her parents looked up Cody and was like, this is a big profile guy, let's actually look into this, let's try to get some money out of this, and then it was like, oh wait, she's actually 16 and not 18, which is crazy because the age of consent in a few states is literally 16, and then they actually went forth trying to uh, press charges, and then he got fucked up for it. And it's like, that's so crazy. Like, it's so arbitrary, man. Like, not only was it not his fault, she fucking lied. She was also, like, of age if they would have been in a different fucking state. It's crazy. And now he's literally registered for life as a sex offender. I like, just oh. don't believe anything that the government says. Any, any accusations they make, especially against Cody Wilson, like... For like this, I know Cody is out to, for to to for our rights. He's guarding our rights, whereas they're out to destroy our rights. So who am I supposed to trust? Like, <clears throat> you know, the other thing about all that is the largest holder of child pornography on earth is the FBI. <laughs> That's right? true. Yeah, and and their excuse is that they use it to like as bait for people on like the deep web and shit. I don't believe that for half of a second. Or if you're if you're a, some, the, some the type of sociopath or psychopath to get drawn into work for the federal government, clearly you're much more susceptible to child pornography. So you're gonna tell me that there's no FBI agents uh, abusing that privilege? No way. There's there's gotta. I mean, come so on. Like I'm supposed to care. Cody Wilson had consensual sex when whereas the FBI has child pornography on their servers that I have to pay for, and they want me to be pissed about Cody Wilson. Like these people can go fuck themselves. You know. Oh what yeah. I mean? No, I, I'm, I'm beyond, I, like when it all happened, I was, I was beyond pissed because I was already a huge supporter of Cody and to see that happen and just see him have to go out of the light for like a year and a half. It just, it, 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 it made me want to support him more. Like they're fucking stupid. <clears throat> Cody like, sort of got me into, um, 3d printing. So like, it was like pork fest, like. 2014 ish and uh cody was supposed to be there to give like a like a thing on 3d printing but he sent one of his friends from a group called come and take it texas this guy named murdoch and murdoch taught like a whole there was he did a whole seminar on 3d printing and that was when i was like 
I was like, wow, that was fucking crazy. This guy just like made a gun. Like Murdoch has a crazy story too, because like he went to like Capitol Hill in Texas when they were trying to pass some bullshit gun law. And he literally sat there printing guns and handing them out to people That's on awesome. like, the front lawn as they were inside passing gun control. So he came, he showed everybody how to 3D print. And I was like, it was like stuck in my head. And I was walking around um, Port Fest when I like, I met this guy who actually had the second ever 3D printed gun. It was like this yellow liberator with mm. a porcupine on it. And I'm holding this thing in my hands and I'm like, that's it. I'm getting myself a 3D printer. <laughs> I'm sold. Yeah, exactly. I went home and bought myself a 3D printer. But like Cody was like, it was like his like operation. Like he sent the guy there and like, he's the one who sort of like um, inspired me to get involved in all of it. And I remember saying to him one time, like just like some via, via Twitter years ago, like, hey, man, like, because he had made a bunch of money. And I was like, this is like, you are literally living Conkin's dream. Mm-hmm. And he said to me, he's like, um, he's like, you haven't seen anything yet. He's like, just give it a little while. And uh, that, and then that was like, I guess the next thing he did was he released all those, all those files, like for mm-hmm. free. And that's when he's gotten into all that trouble. So like, yeah. I mean, just saying, like, my point is like, there's like a, it seems to me like he's, he's very, uh, there's a big agorist connection there. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, he's, he's one of, he's on my list of people that I really wish to have a conversation with because he's so smart. Like he he could run circles around any person who wanted to talk political philosophy. He's a lawyer too, I believe. Well, yeah, he was, uh, in, um, in law school and then ended up dropping out to pursue this, this thing full time. And, yeah, no, man. I wish I could just sit down and talk to him. Just be like, man, see, I just want to like, talk. His his real his big breakthrough, and if you think about it, it's not even that big. Like the whole thing that prevented the the three D printed gun, or like a plastic gun, was that you couldn't have like a like a, a plastic spring. And he he designed one successfully using like a little spiral. Mm-hmm. Um, to have one in the next room, and basically like it just it just winds up. And it releases that tension. That was the little plastic spring. That's what allowed for the little, uh, you know, for the liberator to, to, to work. So that was like the whole, that was like the, the design that changed the game. And after that, there wasn't really too much innovation in like the 3D printed gun scene until, of course, uh, Ivan the Troll came along with the ECM barrel. And that really just ended the whole gun control debate, like once and for all. Yeah, tell me, tell me about that because I'm not too familiar with that. So basically, the only thing obviously that you can't print is the barrel, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, in the Liberator, the barrel is printed, um, but they but it like falls they, apart. Yeah, they don't last that long. So like, what you would do is like, you would print out like fifty, like ten barrels, and people would wear like a little strap across the like a little like strap with like Velcro patches, and they'd have like ten barrels all preloaded. Yeah. So you just pop the barrel out and like change out for the each shot. But what, what Ivan did was he figured out that you can use a process called like electrochemical machining so that you could actually rifle a barrel like in your kitchen sink or something like that. And he does it with like salt water. Wow. You 3D print this little device, you hook up two like electrodes to it, you pull it through the barrel and it will actually etch the barrel out for you like perfectly. And once he figured that out, I mean, you know, even um, 
like if you think about it, like in America, you can 3D print the gun and buy the barrel. So it really wasn't that big of a problem that we that we didn't have these barrels. But in Europe, right, you couldn't even buy the barrel. So mm -hmm. now because of the, the, the design that Ivan made, now you can, you know, the gun control debate has ended in America and everywhere else in the world for that matter too. So if you're in France and you have a 3D printer, now you know how to make like an FGC9 in your basement without the authorities ever knowing about it. So that's why I say between Cody and Ivan, those two guys alone um, did more for our gun rights than every small government politician, every dollar donated to the NRA, um, every, you know, every man hour spent volunteered at the RNC's phone banks or canvassing neighborhood. Those what two men did NRA. Yeah, for real. Like they've hurt our gun rights. Whereas these, yeah. only these two guys have secured the gun rights for all of posterity worldwide. Mm -hmm. That just goes to show you the power of direct action versus the impotence of the political process. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember, um, when Cody was on um, Glenn Beck, like right, right when all this started in like 2013, and he was like, "I don't care about the whole Romney versus Obama thing. Like that doesn't even cross my mind. That's stupid. That's crazy." And he picked up the the printed magazine. He's like, "This is politics right here. This is Literally. radical equality." Now, <clears throat> he was like, "A week ago, this wasn't possible. Now." This can be printed and and given to to anyone yeah. in America, and he's like, "That's yeah. that's real politics." And he's he's like, like, "I'm not." The files were in the public domain, right? Isn't that what he said? Like, yeah, like your politics is the reality. I won't adjust mine to yours. Yeah, and I freaking that's love cool, it, man. Right? He, yeah. man, that's that's what bothers me so much about this shit because it seems like he's reluctant to do shows or talk or anything. And I used to fucking seek out everything that he did, everything that he talked about. Cause I just loved listening to him talk. And now he's been on like, he's been on, um, malice and he's been on, um, um, freaking unregistered with, uh, Thaddeus that Russell. Is. And those, I mean, those have been awesome. Those are the only two things he's done in the last like year and a half. But he, he said one thing that really, really helped me out a lot because um when he was on when he was on glenn beck um <clears throat> he asked a, glenn asked a question he was like so like you call yourself like a like an anarchist or whatever he's like but you gotta i mean you gotta know i mean you gotta have something some sort of government or whatever and he was like he's like look i look at anarchism as more of not necessarily a goal but like a method because when people are like, oh, you're an anarchist, like, that's crazy, like, shit will blow up, you know, like, society will collapse, and it's like, okay, well, then let's not think about that. Let's not necessarily go in, like, a deep dive on how Ancapistan's going to work. How about let's have this anarchist mentality of doing whatever we can to work towards that individual liberty, and then whatever happens later on happens, because if and Kapistan is going to happen, that's way fucking down the road. And right. <clears throat> as fun as those theory conversations are, they're not exactly we're very not productive. Yet. You know what we're I mean? Not, we're, not, we're not. What's the point of debating how, like, uh, you know, the intricacies of a private court when we're not even even remotely close to that, that point? Mm -hmm. But you know what I like to say when people say it to me is when they're like, well, 
you have to have some sort of government, right? There has to be something, like even just a little bit, right? I always ask them, I'm always like, what good or service does the state provide you with, which the market is unable to provide at both a cheaper cost and a higher quality? Mm-hmm. And like, you see, like they get this, like confused, like public school look on their face. And like, they don't know what, to, and then they start to think about it. And they're like, yeah, you're right, you know? Or sometimes they'll say, oh, of course, for the military. And you're like, well, if, if, if you know, you wouldn't want the government to provide cell phones or televisions or cars, why should they be providing defense or, uh, you know, arbitration services, right? If they're inefficient at all of those other things, what makes you think that they'll be efficient in, in these particular, you know, services, service mm-hmm. sectors? And that usually is, is a pretty uh, persuasive way of getting at them. Not everybody obviously can be persuaded, but that's usually my go-to, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And uh, it kind of gets it kind of gets annoying because, like, I've gotten to the point where, where I, you know, I be, I, I believe what I just said, where it's like it just kind of seems like a waste of time, especially for someone who's not trying to like, who isn't also you know radical libertarian debating theory about private arbitration. If it's just a normal person and they're like, well, how the fuck would private courts work? I'm gonna be like. <laughs> I don't really want to have this conversation right now because you're not going to listen to any of it. It's not going to matter. Let's 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 get down to the fundamentals and not get in these really specifics of like either you're going to describe to me exactly how this private arbitration service is going to work perfectly, or I'm gonna or I'm gonna fall back on the state providing it. It's like I'm not. I don't it's want to have that conversation. Us. It is. It shouldn't be incumbent upon libertarians to show you how. Uh, how like an alternative system would work, right? It's not our fault that you weren't creative enough to think of an alternative to the status quo. Yeah. Right. Not only that, but like, like, you know, whatever they, whatever they ask me, I just throw back at them. So they're, if they're like, Oh, well, how would the private courts work? Like, well, better than they would today. Right. We, we certainly wouldn't have any courts ruling on a three fifths clause. saying that a black (laughs) man is three fifths of a white man. Like, we wouldn't have any like oh, that nonsense or like in a private court, Hillary Clinton probably would be in jail or like, you know, you just compare it to, to whatever we have today. And like, you can see that the alternative has to be uh, an improvement, you know, and that goes yeah. for anything too, by the way, not just courts. Yeah. Any pri- and that's what bothers me about minarchists or whatever. <clears throat> it's like, you're cool with completely admitting that the free market is going to provide everything, everything much better, more efficiently, more freely than the government will, except for like these three fucking things. Are you retarded? Like, they why want, are you like, making these exceptions? They want too, by the way. Right. So it's like, it's like the minarchist wants courts, roads and, and militaries, but the socialist wants like healthcare and like paid maternity leave and like pre-K. Yeah. So like, what what makes you any different? You just are. You're only you're like arguing over which pet projects I should be robbed for. Mm-hmm. Is yeah. that is that really that much of a difference at the end of the day? You know, someone should make some sort of like troll account and be like, "Yeah, I'm a minarchist. I think that the government should provide televisions <laughs> right. and car stereos. That's it." <laughs> but, but yeah, honestly, we're laughing, but in England, that's what they do. In England, like you have to get like a TV license and shit like that, like. It's crazy. It's insane. It's absolutely insane. So like, I don't know. <clears throat> I don't know. The minarchy thing, <clears throat> it, it, it's the worst form of socialism, minarchy, because 
The minarchists understand the harmful effects of monopoly, and yet they continue to advocate for it nonetheless. Whereas mm-hmm. at least like the AOCs and the Bernie Sanders of the world, yeah, they don't understand a supply and demand chart. Like they can claim ignorance, like they're morons. Like, you know, and I say that with all due respect to them, but like at least the, like the minarchist doesn't, he can't, they don't have that excuse because they do understand supply and demand. They do understand why socialism doesn't work, but they want it anyway. Yeah, yeah. And then it's, they want it in the most important areas, like military yeah, and police and courts. Like this is where it counts the most, right? When you have a socialized military, you might get a, like a nuclear bomb dropped on Nagasaki or Hiroshima guys. Yeah. And they still want it anyway. And then you see them, the really brainwashed ones will continue to defend it. Like 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 Austin, Austin Peterson. Peterson. Yeah. Yeah, like they'll, like they'll they'll watch the government, the socialized military, murder <laughs> hundreds of thousands of people, and they'll still defend it. And like that is the power of public schools that i've watching watching austin peter I, I i feel like he's gone way downhill since like the 2016 election like when he stopped running for office he was like you know what i'm just a fucking republican yeah, fuck right. what people think like Grand party dude it's weird it's real weird He's I mean, always been that way, though. Honestly, um, he was just—I think he was just experimenting with the whole libertarian thing. Like, if you look at those debates, he doesn't accept the like rational principle. He doesn't—he um, doesn't even think that, like, you know, you should end the drug war. So, I mean, you know, that's not really libertarianism, as far as I'm concerned. That's much more—that's like light socialism, you know. <clears throat> Yeah, that's the worst. And and they wonder why libertarians tend to infight or whatever. And it's like, because at least, like, the other people, like, suck. And they're, like, all about it. Like, you, they're like, I don't suck. I'm with you. But, like, fuck you at the same time. It's like, I'm going to take your shit and I'm going to twist it and make it worse or I'm going to like accept half your shit and and reject part of it and still call myself a libertarian it's like that makes you like way that. more angry you know right right i could i could easily ha- sit down and have a conversation with like AOC and have like a nice like non-confrontational um compassionate conversation or at least I'm just assuming I don't know her but if i sat and talked to some like militant libertarian minarchist like that shit's not gonna happen like they're gonna get angry they're gonna fight you know and and i i hate that i mean there was there was that whole situation where i kind of just like talk shit about the libertarian community like a little while back because i was like i'm sick of it every time every single time i try to have a productive conversation about something that's just not like the the mainstream accepted idea i'm just oh you're fucking crazy you're fu- you're why and just like hating me hating me and i'm like yeah. you guys can't even have a conversation it oh my god it just bothered the fuck out of me man yeah no i i hear you i think um we're also not like immune to the whole cultish behavior oh yeah you know, like, especially, like, it's, it gets very, like, cliquish in the libertarian community. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you're, like, a right libertarian or you're, like, a left libertarian or you're with these guys or you're with those guys, like, 
and there's all it's very tribalistic too like there's a 3d printing gun community there's a crypto community and there's like the bitcoin versus bitcoin cash and monero and the dash community and they're all like the free state project and the seasteading guys and there's like we're, we're we're a very tribalistic community ourselves but I don't know. I think that as long as we all fight for liberty in our mm -hmm. own uh, <clears throat> in our own way, it's it's useful. It's helpful. Not everybody's going to interpret the non-aggression principle the way you and I do, mm -hmm. uh, and that's fine. I'm going to call them on it when I disagree with them. But as long as they're not like my enemy now, it's just like exactly right, yeah. exactly. And like anybody on, like I consider the I consider the libertarian spectrum from like constitutionalism to agorism and like i get that from walter block right walter block was like the kind of guy who's like you know we go as far to the left as constitutionalists and minarchists and like on the other side is like ancaps and agorists you know mm -hmm. right. and like everybody in the middle and like i i think that's a pretty fair interpretation and like anybody who falls within that range is, is okay in my book i'll yeah. work with anybody in that range you know mm -hmm. yeah absolutely <clears throat> i've just it just it tends to get under my skin a little bit more when I'm having conversations with these people that are supposed to be open-minded and rational and on my side, and they just go off the rails on a disagreement. And, and that's, that, that, that ties it back to how any type of natural conversation-based um, solution isn't going to work because humans are naturally tribal. They naturally want to get more for doing less. Um, and so trying to get to someone on, on that level isn't going to work. You have to have some sort of agorist or counter economic solution that people can get behind without having to try and subvert their nature. You have to develop some sort of solution that can, you know, come with their right. natural <clears throat> tendencies in stride. Yeah. Because just being like, oh, we need to just completely change everyone's minds to make them understand that a state is not only not synonymous with society, but the antithesis of right, society, exactly. yeah. they're not going to come around. It's not going to happen. Right. Um, you know, you, you, you can show a horse the barn door, but you can't make him walk through it. You ever hear that saying? Um, you know, there's a, there's a good book by Drew Weston, who is a neuroscientist at uh, Emory University in Georgia. The book is called Political Brain. It's an older book. Um, and he takes a look at like the difference between leftists and rightists, like in so far as like the like neuropathology and neuroscience goes. <clears throat> and what one of the things it's a really interesting book, I highly recommend it. But one of the things that he says in that book is that if I present to you an opinion that um, doesn't conform to your pre-existing beliefs, the brain's natural response is okay. How can that be wrong, right? Like if you tell me something that I'm used to thinking is incorrect, my brain's first response is to try to find ways that that's incorrect. Right. And I think that's what we come across a lot, um, you know, especially when you're, you know, talking about 
these radical uh, political ideas, which are so much different than what people are used to hearing. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, when we tell them like privatize the roads, like you tell like a boomer that they're like, their heads like explode. They can't understand these concepts. And I think on a smaller scale, it happens within the Liberty community as well. Like when I tell people, um, like for example, I'm like, oh, well, uh, the worst solution is, is not, we don't believe in like violence. We're not pacifists, but we, we prefer an economic approach rather than, a, a, you know, using violence. So like, they say, well, how would you punish, how would you deal with politicians in a free society, in a post-revolutionary society? And I said, well, put them in work camps, right? This is what, this was Conkin's idea was let them work off their debts to their victims in restitution camps. And they're like, oh, these agorist gulags and you guys have just turned into Stalin already. And it's just like, no, no, no. It's all done like, like. In, in, it's all done in, in a way that's consistent with the non-aggression principle. But sure. when, you, when you try to like explain this to them, all they can hear is labor camp, gulag, work camp, and it's like, yeah, but that's not that's not what we're talking about here. I'm not talking about like Auschwitz or Birkenau. We're talking about somewhere that they want to go so they can rejoin society. You know? Exactly. It's 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 um, yeah, that really bothers that that really bothers people with these. That's when it starts coming down to people's interpretations of the nap. When you tell them, hey, like, I've said this before, where when I talk, when I think about the nap, my understanding is that actual forced restitution isn't, isn't compatible with the nap. Like once, once the nap has been violated, then coming after to violate the nap again to you know take some sort of restitution is violating the nap a second time people don't like that like at all because then they're like oh my god how is society going to work blah 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 and it's like now they're falling in the same camp as, as every other statist but like how you were saying with that like like that that voluntary type restitution right. camp exactly. where it's like you're either going to be absolutely shunned or cut off socially from society or you're going to, or you're going to put the work in to do this, and then get our stamp of approval. You know, come back in society and be accepted. Exactly. That that does not compute <clears throat> with most people because their entire lives are, you robbed me. Now I'm going to sue you, and if you don't give it back, we're going to come fucking hurt you. That's the only way right. that people. Exactly. That's how society is run. That's how it's been it's, for it's, years. That's the only way. That's the only happened. way. Right. I agree with you 100%. Um, I, I think it can be done in a way that's very consistent with the NAP. And it isn't done the way the status quo is not consistent with the non-aggression principle. And people, they don't understand this. And a lot of the people listening probably think that we're talking crazy right now. But I want to just, I want to remind them that like, <clears throat> um, read Chaos Theory by Bob Murphy. Because if, yep. you, if you agree, um, you know, if you sign a contract with an insurance company, and, it's, and it says, hey, if I uh, run over sell Mayweather's foot, I'll be held accountable in this way and that way and this way. <clears throat> so when the day comes, you run my leg over, now we can, we can extract uh, you know, damages from you in the ways which you've agreed to. And that's, that's all consistent with the non-aggression principle. So if you, you know, I'm just making up stuff out of the blue here, but if you know, the contract says, hey, if I run over sell's foot, <clears throat> I'll pay him $500 in, in Bitcoin. 
okay, then that isn't a violation of the non-aggression principle, right? When you send me that money, I'm not forcing it from you. Right. You've agreed that under these circumstances, this is what I'll be held liable for. And that's really what we're talking about in a free society. So if anybody wants to learn more about that, like I said, check out Chaos Theory by Bob Murphy. You can get it for free from the Mises Institute. It's a good little audio book. It's not even a real, I would even, probably couldn't even call it a book. It's more like an ebook or a pamphlet or something like that. It's very short, highly, um, it's definitely worth reading because of the, the intricacies to which Murphy goes. Um, mm-hmm. You know, whenever you get these questions from people, how would these really specific things work in a free society? That's the book that answers those questions. Yeah, Bob Murphy's pretty great. He's got he's got a whole um, hour long talk uh, on the 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 Mises YouTube page um, about just how stuff like that would work in like a private law society and he's able to just like explain it so well because he's just yeah. thought about it so mm-hmm. much that it just right. rolls off the tongue like it's something he's been thinking about for years because he because he, he has. has yeah right right dude he, i he, love dude the mises institute is like it, it's like a godsend I dude i, like, I, I wouldn't be where i am without them they're so they're so they're so great like they have so much material so many books that they self-publish and they have so much information in video format in 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 article format online i mean it's insane like it's the best resource fucking ever ever really i'm so impressed i'm so impressed like even even the people that work there are wonderful i i i have man economy and state and i've read through it um, but you know, there's a lot of difficult concepts and stuff in there. And I saw that there was a study guide that came along with it. I'm, I'm pretty sure Walter Block wrote it and I ordered it on their website. It was like 15 bucks and you know, I waited a bit and I, and I got it in the mail, but it turns out they sent me another copy of man economy and state. And I was like, Oh damn. Like I appreciate the fifty dollar book instead of the yeah, right. the thing, and I called, and the lady was so nice, and she was like, she's like, oh yeah, oh we're, uh, I'm so sorry, um, we'll get you, we'll get you that study guide right away. The guys in the back, they've just been super swamped with everything going on, and I was like, I was like, I can send the send the book back. I already got a copy, and I haven't even opened it out of the shrink wrap. She's like, no, 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 you keep it. You can donate it to like a library or give nice. it to a friend who like really wants to learn about economics yeah. i was like all right that's cool awesome. and then they just sent me you know the the other thing free of charge that's like, awesome wow. um <clears throat> excuse me there's a lot of these great institutes the mises institute obviously was like number one mm-hmm. um also the abbeville institute is great to learn about like uh, the civil war and like southern history the American Institute for Economic Research oh, is yeah. great, where uh, Richard Ebling and Jeffrey Tucker work. And some other I great love people. Jeffrey Tucker. Yeah, he, me too. He's such a... Uh, he's brilliant. He's, he's such like a, he's like a sweetheart, too. So he's like yeah. brilliant and compassionate. And it's like, yeah. <clears throat> and it's like any reasonable person is going to listen to him talk and be like, this guy's fucking making sense. And like, what I love about <laughs> Tucker is that all the shit that I get in trouble for with like in the Bitcoin community, you probably see like every now and then I get pulled into some drama in the Bitcoin community. Mm. And like, 
whenever Jeffrey Tucker speaks, he always backs up my position. <laughs> like, <laughs> on the same page. So whenever somebody disagrees with me, I'm like, yeah, go listen to Jeffrey Tucker. If you don't want to hear from me, here's a professional economist telling you the same shit. And then, of course, you know, the cognitive dissonance sets in and, you know, mm-hmm. their heads turn like a confused dog and stuff like that. But Jeffrey Tucker's, in fact, did you see, actually, by the way, there was an old Bitcoin wallet from like 2010 <clears throat> that had like, it was like one of these Satoshi era wallets. Like it was one of the old school guys in Bitcoin who had one of these wallets from Bitcoin mine in 2010. Like I forget how many, like a ridiculous amount of Bitcoin, like thousands of Bitcoins. Oh. And they, they just like yesterday or the day before, I think it was Sunday, they sent like, I don't even know. I don't want to say the wrong number, but it was an astronomical amount of Bitcoin to the American Institute for Economic Research to support their work. Wow. And this goes back to what I like to tell people. A lot of these old school Bitcoiners are Bitcoin cashers, right? They're big blockers. Mm-hmm. And you can, and here's more evidence because now they're supporting the work of Jeffrey Tucker, who um, he spoke at uh, Fork Day a lot of us spoke at Fork Day, but Jeffrey Tucker gave the best speech by far. Anybody who wants to learn about Bitcoin, check out Jeffrey Tucker's speech from this year at um, at Fork Day. Uh, it was a virtual event, but he absolutely killed it talking about is, the economics. Is the talk on YouTube? Like, yeah, where is it yeah. at? Okay. Um, you can probably find. I know it's on YouTube. It was on the the whole event was hosted by Bitcoin ABC, so they might have it. Um, it's probably up on Jeffrey Tucker's. Uh, uh, website. A whole bunch of people spoke. I spoke, Roger Rivera spoke, Ben Armani, Jeffrey Tucker, um, a whole bunch of folks. But Jeffrey Tucker's speech was by far, uh, he just absolutely killed it. He cleaned. They spoke for like a half hour on like very like in-depth economic issues related to Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash and cryptocurrency. And like, uh, it was just music to my ears. Mm -hmm. Check it out. Like I said, if you're interested in like that sort of stuff. But yeah, and just my point, my whole point is that like Jeffrey Tucker's at AIER, we're talking about all these great institutes and here you have this old school Satoshi wallet donating like astronomical sums of money to them. So it's good to see that sort of stuff. Yeah. Another good one is um, Fee, the Foundation for Economics. Yes, dude, they have the best YouTube videos. I, yeah. I man, and then they like, they uh, take... Like a movie? What's it? Oh, what do they? What do they call it? It's like um, fuck, I don't remember what the uh, what the actual show is called. But their YouTube videos easily my my favorite YouTube channel because they take yeah. like the movies like the Avengers or like Spider Man. They do. They had a whole thirty minute video on the new Brave New World series. That's how I found out about it. Oh, cool. Yeah, and that video is phenomenal. Phenomenal. Like, you could send that to any of your statist friends, and they'd be like, holy shit. Like, it's that good, where he talks about how, um, like, the utopian mindset is a problem, and, like, central planning, and, and, like, the lack of individualism, and it's, oh, my God, it was so good. Like, I watched it, and I was like, wow, and I was like, I want to watch this show now, and then, you know, of course, the show is not as good as the quick little, like, like, um, video, but uh, it was, their YouTube channel is awesome. 
I, love I usually it. just like read books that these institutes like I've read everything from Mises. Like Mises, I mean, like I said, when I said earlier that they changed my life, they really like I mean that. Like I've read so many the best books I've ever read come from Mises Institute, um, history, economics, all of it. That's where I really read Rothbard and Ralph Rako and all those guys who really turned me into an anarchist. But um, Abbeville Institute, like I said, for Civil War reading, um, Fee uh, has some really great books available. Um, and so does the AIER. So like all of these institutes, hats off to all of them. Also Cato. Um, there's so many great libertarian think tanks, you know, mm -hmm. nowadays. There's more popping up every day. So hopefully it's a trend that continues. I hope so. And it's weird that there is so, like, they have so much material and they have so much support and backing and influence, but it doesn't seem to do a whole lot of a Like, it'll it'll help out, like, individuals <clears throat> here and there, like with me and you. But it's, well, it's just um, odd that it doesn't have such a mainstream influence. I wish it did. Well, not yet. Like, think about it like this. Like, Sunday, they got that donation from the Satoshi Wallet. Mm -hmm. Right, AIER got that donation. Now today, I saw on Instagram they're accepting paid internships for next year. Um, I know Fee got like a million dollar donation from Roger Bear, and they were able to provide like a whole bunch of like courses and all kinds of shit. And you know, obviously Mises, forget it. But they put on so many events and they give oh, yeah. so much resource oh, yeah. free, and like they're just so good to the people. Um, you know, I, I have no complaints with the way that, that they spend their money. And Abbeville is the same way. Abbeville is one of the lesser known institutes, but um, if you're interested in learning about like the Civil War and the truth of the Civil War and Abraham Lincoln's genocide, check out like all of the stuff that they do. They have a great, um, uh, it's a newsletter or an email list. <clears throat> and if you sign up for it, you get a free ebook called Emancipation Hell by Kirkpatrick Sale, who I had on my show to discuss this book. Mm. And, I've, and if you've heard me speak about the Civil War, you've heard me mention this book. Um, it's my number one most recommended book in terms of the Civil War, even more so than the, the DiLorenzo books, because... Uh, oh, yeah. What, what's it called? Like, he writes the books the, on Lincoln, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. He's got, a, he's got a new one out on Lincoln, too, by the way, DiLorenzo. Um, mm -hmm. He wrote The Problem with Lincoln, The Real Lincoln... Um, Lincoln Unmasked. But the one I'm talking about is by Patrick Sale. It's called Emancipation Hell. And you can get it for free by signing up for the Abbeville Institute's uh, email uh, list. Highly recommend it. All these institutes are great, though. Yeah. No, I, I love them. I, it, it gives me a little sliver of hope that even, even yeah. like, because I, I've said this for a while, that if people had ultimate economic freedom then your social freedom comes along with it once right. once economic freedom is like the goal because yeah. I'm, you, you know if there's if the state does not have a hold on the economy in any way they can't have a hold on your social life at all like it's just not possible well um it was kanye said kanye west said uh economic freedom brings political freedom right I mean, in a more like looking at it in a more abstract way, um, there is no political freedom, right? There's no such thing. There yeah. is only economic. Yeah. Like, you know, that's why I tell people in the Agora, there is, there's no politics. There's only economics. 
you know, mm -hmm. Nagora, there's just, it's, that's all there is. It's just economics. It's just the economy. That's what Nagorism is. It's just the separation of economics and politics. And the politics goes into the trash and we're, we just keep the economic aspect of society. Right. Yeah. Because it's like the conversation about whether gay people should be allowed to be married or not just goes completely out the window. Right. If, who's going to not allow them? Exactly. Exactly. So to me, it's like those issues are just like they're important right now because of the stranglehold that the state has. And it's like, okay, that sucks. They shouldn't do that. But in the grand scheme of things, what really matters is the economic freedom. And that's why I think unless, unless you disagree, but like I, I would look at, the blockchain is like the most revolutionary invention of like the 21st century. And it has yeah. to be because yeah, no, no, I, I agree hundred percent because the, the potential that that has <clears throat> if widely adopted is astronomical, you know, that, like that subverts to have an actual decentralized blockchain, not only for like, banking but like contracts and, and all of that stuff if widely adopted almost renders the state useless or irrelevant you know the biggest on its own the, the biggest threat to the agora to liberty is um central banking mm -hmm. right without the central bank they wouldn't be able to afford their, their warfare and their welfare programs uh <clears throat> and we've seen how they will suppress sound money like gold, right? They just make it illegal and they'll shoot you if you hold it. They can't do that with Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. So this is why I think Bitcoin is the most powerful tool in the counter economists toolkit, right? The hammer is to the carpenter as the blockchain is to the agorist, right? It's, it's, it's the way I like to think about it. And you hit the nail on the head. It's not just in terms of currency, although that certainly is the most powerful aspect so far, also in terms of like smart contracts and like the internet of things. Mm -hmm. um, we, we already spoke about tokenization. These are just, you know, right off the bat, there's three ways you can use a blockchain to disintermediate the state. And a lot of Bitcoin maximalists, you hear them say Bitcoin, not blockchain. Even a lot of people who I agree with in the Bitcoin cash world, they say Bitcoin cash, not blockchain. And I'm like, no, 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 blockchain, <laughs> not Bitcoin, right? Yeah. Bitcoin is sort of like the Model T, like mm. the engine is the blockchain, right? If the engine, the engine lasted, the Model T, the Model T didn't. So I, I, I think that, um, <clears throat> I think you hit the nail on the head. Blockchains are the most powerful tool we have. Um, you know, the Fed is the biggest enemy. Bitcoin is the most powerful tool we have to fight that. But, you know, look at the smart contracts. Look at how they lessen the demand on the statist court system, right? And imagine if we expand the use of smart contracts into everything else. Also, we have no use for, uh, you know, government judges and prosecutors. Who cares what they say when you, all these things can be mitigated instantly yeah. by use of a smart, a smart contract in a way that's consistent with the non-aggression principle? right who cares what the regulators of the sec or finra have to say if you and i can trade tokenized uh, securities you know over the or some some ex some decentralized exchange instantaneously 
Who cares what they have to say? And eventually the blockchain will get us to the point where, you know, they're going to have to give up, I think. It'll, like, they're not going to go down so. without a fight. They'll, they'll, they'll go down kicking and screaming, but they will go down. Man, I, I hope so. Because, I mean, we're seeing blockchain get adopted more and more every day. And I hope it doesn't stop. But, I mean, that's always there. It's always there. Like, they might, the state might step in, put some regulation in, really crack down. And then the people that are just, like, hobbyists or, like, people who are, you know, using it as, like, an investment tool, like, they're going to they're gonna step yeah. down. And they're yeah. going to stop. And it could fizzle out. It really could. You know what? It's been like that since day one, right? It's True. always... The backbone of, of Bitcoin, the backbone of crypto has always been the people who are using it for freedom purposes, for libertarian purposes. Mm-hmm. Since day one, I remember when Bitcoins were 100 bucks, 200 bucks each. Um, and we were having the same conversations. We were like, yeah, you know, it's very unstable. You never know if it's going to get adopted. And maybe one day and people, you know, who knows how they're going to feel. Here we are now. It's like, what? what's it say eleven thousand five hundred dollars for one bitcoin yeah and they're still having those conversations so it's like yeah. you know yeah. the way i look at hope. it as yeah right i mean i don't care if it's if a bitcoin is worth one million dollars or one dollar i will never have to finance the welfare warfare state ever again i will i'm going to use bitcoin if it's 50 cents for one bitcoin or 50 million dollars for one bitcoin i'm still going to use it because i don't want to pay for the famine in Yemen. I don't want to pay to, to murder 19 pine nut farmers in Afghanistan that I've never met before. Yeah. And the way that they make me do that is through inflation, right? And I can avoid all that nonsense um, by not using their money. Not only that, but they can't- Not being taxed on it. That too, but like moreover, they can't prohibit my transactions now. <clears throat> like look at the Silk Road, right? Right, with like Ross Ulbricht. All of these, you know, traditional payment methods like Visa and your bank and PayPal and Venmo, they're all heavily KYC'd. Mm-hmm. Like the politicians put a gun to the head of all these different payment processors and they say, hey, what did Dylan buy? Did he buy anything illegal? If he did, you better tell us. We're going to throw you in jail. Yeah. They have to rat on you, right? <clears throat> but with Bitcoin, that's not the case. There is no third party to tell on you. And that's why, that's why Satoshi invented it, right? If you go back and read the white paper and you look at all the things that him and the cypherpunks were talking about at the time, it was all about creating this peer-to-peer currency. It wasn't about um, like this investment or anything like, you know, it is an investment. You're going to get, you're, you're going to make money off of Bitcoin, but not, not, not vis-a-vis speculation. That's not where the value comes in. It comes in through adoption that's based on utility. And that utility right. has always been the peer-to-peer transactability of Bitcoin, which is impossible with fiat currencies. Mm-hmm. You think? Do you think we'll ever we'll ever figure out who Satoshi is? I hope not. Like <laughs> I genuinely hope not, because he'd be killed. That's why. I mean, if you think about it, right? Look at the three most major successful counter economists of the last ten to fifteen years. You have Satoshi Nakamoto. Ross Ulbricht and Cody Wilson, right? Mm-hmm. Two of those three had a lot of trouble. Oh, Ross yeah. Ulbricht caught double life plus 40. He got more time than El Chapo for That's making a dumb shit. That's some dumb sure. shit. 
African dictators at the Hague who got less than half of what Ross Ulbricht got. Um, Cody Wilson was erroneously charged, as we discussed, with um, sex crimes. Yeah. <clears throat> but Satoshi, by um, maintaining pseudonymity, by concealing his identity, was able to protect himself from all that nonsense. And that's why as soon as, um, you know, back in the old Bitcoin forums, when, when as soon as Gavin Andreessen mentioned the CIA was sniffing around, boom, Satoshi was gone. Never heard from him again. That was it. Dude, that guy, I, I mean, for him to have this type of contribution to society and then, I mean, he, he is beyond, yeah. but, but he is like beyond wealthy at this point. Like, oh, <clears throat> like for God's sakes, man, I, like he's just rolling in it. He can sit back and be like, look at all of this amazing contribution that I've given and no one knows who the fuck I am and I am I safe. This guy is living it, living and it. And that's supposed to show you like what kind of person he is that. Yeah. You no, know, obviously he didn't do it for the fame because he doesn't want it. Right. Right. He, he didn't. He didn't know he was going to get rich when he did it. Yeah, he, was, he yeah he didn't even know that Bitcoin would be worth right. so much. It was just literally to change the world. Yeah. Um, and like again, if you go back to like um, read a book called Digital Gold by Nathaniel Popper, who goes into a lot of these old um, comments, a lot of the old school days of Bitcoin, like the early days, and like a lot of the shit Satoshi would say was like very like. He was trying to promote mass adoption of cryptocurrency. He was working with people on the side to make it seem popular and like try to get people into it. And <clears throat> as soon as it sort of took off is when he kind of like took a step back, you know, mm -hmm. which you have to respect. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because it's, yeah, it's probably, you know, it's fame no is really. It's, it's, it's the biggest contribution to counter economics since uh probably ever yeah probably ever that's what now, i'm saying like it's crazy but you know you know you can't discuss bitcoin like okay so satoshi is the most famous person in bitcoin ross ulbricht is number two mm -hmm. and the reason why is because ross <clears throat> he, he created an application for it and Right. Gave people a platform to like exactly. genuinely use it. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like he gave it like a real world use case. Right. Like, you know how, like, if you read Carl Menger's book, The Origins of Money, he talks about how a commodity has to have some use case to bootstrap its value. Right. So, like, everybody wanted gold because it was used for decorative purposes. And because everybody already wanted it, they're like, oh, well, you know what? I want some of your eggs. So, here's some gold. I know you want some gold. So here, take some gold and give me some of your eggs. With Bitcoin, that, like, it doesn't have a decorative purpose. But what it does have is it has, like I said, that peer-to-peer -peer transactability. Yeah. So as the state becomes more oppressive and more restrictive, then the demand for a peer-to-peer -peer currency is going to grow and grow and grow until eventually the whole world is going to want a peer-to-peer -peer currency. Yeah. And Russ, Russ showed us just a little taste of that. And how, like, just in terms of, like, illicit material, like drugs and stuff like that, that it could be used, uh, you know, for stuff like that. So I think you can't tell the story of Bitcoin without discussing Ross Ulbricht. But unfortunately, they figured out who Dread Pirate Roberts was. And 
you know, what they did to him was just so dirty. It was, it's the, one of the biggest crimes of my life. <clears throat> it's crazy. And he, he's never going to get out. He's not. And, and it, and it breaks my heart, man, because he's like a good guy. Yeah, he is. And he's, he's a not. a smart guy, too. Yeah. And you know, he doesn't deserve thing. any of that. And he has to, like, sit there and, like, hope right. that <laughs> one of these freaking politicians are going to pardon him. Like, yeah. oh, what a what a shitty existence, man. It's Yeah, I, I agree. Um, you know, I hope that, obviously, what I'd like to see... And I know this is, you know, sort of utopian. I'm probably getting ahead of myself, but I, I do believe, you know, strongly that the Gorgas Revolution will happen. I really do think that will happen. When it will happen, I don't know. What the pace it will happen at, I'm not sure of. But man, wouldn't it be nice to see a private defense agency march into that prison, arrest the warden, put him into one of our work camps, and let Ross go free? Man, that would be like the happiest day of my life. The happiest day of my life. Yeah. Imagine, imagine that that gets pulled off like fifty years from now, and like R Ross is like this eighty-year-old man, and he's like just hanging on by a thread, and it's like just hang on, man, we're coming to get you. I hope and not. He walks I out. Hope this is getting out soon. I really do because you know the, the the saddest thing about it is that he's such a smart guy. He's like there, and he's not the only one. There was a whole wave of tech entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. Of just crushed, right? Like, look up, like, um, that's dude? why they got that's why they had to lock him up, man. Yeah, 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 for sure. And that's why he doesn't have access to a computer because mm. he would still be making changes for the better, he'd be changing the world for the better. But they did the same thing to a guy named Aaron Schwartz. Um, they drove him to suicide, uh, if you believe their narrative, at least. It was a, a similar sort of case, but like it just ended a little bit even worse. But yeah, I don't know. It, Ross breaks my heart, man. It really does. It really does. He, he should have been given a, a Nobel Peace Prize, but instead they gave it to the guy who drone bombed the maternity ward of a children's hospital or of a charity hospital in Syria. I just, man, it's all fucked up. And then, and then you're seeing them try to do the same shit with Assange. That, <clears throat> man, yeah. that makes me mad. It makes me so mad because they just do oh, him man. so dirty, man. Like Assange is one of those guys that I just, one of my, I guess, life goals to sit down and have a conversation with. Yeah. And, and he, <clears throat> it's, it's those people that are willing to sacrifice their well-being to do the right thing that are freaking heroes to me, man. You know, yeah. like, like Ross. He was on like the old school cypherpunk list. Mm -hmm. So he was, he's been doing this for a while, Assange. Um, that's another another good example too. What we're talking about was like when they banned Bitcoin, when they banned donations to WikiLeaks. Yeah, they were it was all done in Bitcoin, right? They were just flooded with Bitcoin donations. So again, it shows it shows you the, the utility, or the intrinsic value of the, having a peer to peer currency. But like all those guys, man, Assange, Cody, Ross, they were just they were done so dirty. And that's why I'm so glad Satoshi remained pseudonymous yeah. and able to. Because imagine where he'd be. Oh, he'd be they dead. They would put a bullet in his head, you know? Exactly.
Yeah. That's why it's like, yeah, I wish I wish we knew who he was, but I also don't. It's like, yeah, it's not it's not worth it at all. That's like when, you know, and I've had Craig right on my show and I I, I, I know Craig and I'm telling you he's not he gets a bad rep because like per, his personality comes off as a jerk and he is. He's an asshole. You can tell he's just one of those guys who's like a dick, but he happens to be a very intelligent asshole. Right. Like when you speak to him, you can tell the guy is obviously he's smarter than your average cookie, but he's just an asshole. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's Satoshi, but I think that's good for him. He doesn't, he should be happy that he's not Satoshi because yeah. he can right now. Why, what, I mean? what is his, why does he want to, to prove to everyone that he's Satoshi? What is the goal there? Like just recognition? I think it's clout. I think it's recognition. I think a lot of it has to do with the idea that he's split from the BCH chain. So now they have three iterations of Bitcoin. There's Bitcoin BTC, Bitcoin Cash, and that's split. The BCH chain split into Bitcoin Cash and BSV. Mm-hmm. And Craig stuck with the BSV guys. <clears throat> and uh, I think it, it, it sort of lends an air of credibility to the BSV claim, right? That BSV yeah. is real Bitcoin and we can prove it because Satoshi's on our side, right? He's publicly on our team. Um, I'm more of a fan of BSV than I am of Craig Wright, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> I think there's, you know, he sort of drags the currency down and sort of, you know, gives it a bad name. You know, when I had him on my show, uh, Craig, we got into a little, we got into a little bit of central banking because Craig is sort of an apologist for the Federal Reserve. And I said to him, said, you know, well, look, you know, obviously the central bank does bad and Bitcoin, um, you know, helps, it provides some sort of competition. You know, I said, you have to agree with that, wouldn't you? And he's like, well, yeah, you know, there's some things that I wish they did differently. And, you know, know, I wish, I wish it did, you know, I hope it does and this and that. But I couldn't get him to come out right and say, yes, like we are out to get the Federal Reserve. And if you compare that with some of Satoshi's statements, it doesn't really line up. Mm-hmm. Satoshi wasn't an ideologue. He comes across more like a cypherpunk than an ideologue. Right. But um, you can tell there's a mismatch. Craig is definitely not the same guy making those comments early on. And it just doesn't add up. And like, he tries to like piece those, he tries to like stitch those pieces together in a way that doesn't really make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's like, really now odd. he's got, um, there's some lawsuit where he's supposed to move all these Satoshi era coins and he hasn't been able to do it. Like the judge is like, all right, if you're Satoshi, yeah. you're Satoshi's wallets, send the money to the guys you owe money to. And he's like, yeah, okay. Yeah. And he just, he just hasn't done it. I think it's because he just doesn't have the keys. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely it. I, I yeah, I, ne- I never understood that. I, I mean, I'm, I'm like, slightly versed when it comes to bitcoin and blockchain stuff but i'm not as into the community and all that as like as you are like can you can you explain to me like the whole bitcoin cash like big block debate in 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 that stuff because yeah yeah so like the, the like initially um 
Bitcoin's block, Bitcoin, based on the white paper that Satoshi wrote, the size of a block is capped. So you can think of it like, um, you know, when you and I make transactions on the blockchain, we can think about like a check, right? Those transactions are checks and they get mm -hmm. put like a stack of checks, which is like a block. That block or that stack of checks, that, that stack of transactions goes to a miner for validation. So uh, when you have small blocks, right, you can only fit X amount of checks in there. That means that the network is really congested, right? Miners have to validate more blocks more frequently. There's much more demand for their services. So the network is bogged down. Mm -hmm. so and then the, the fees go up. That, exactly, exactly. And the problem was that when Bitcoin got really popular in like 2017, it hit like $20,000 all time high. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> the congestion on the, on the network was crazy. People couldn't, you know, there was just, there's all kinds of nightmare stories. Like there's people who paid thousands of dollars in minor fees just to have their transaction confirmed on the blockchain. Well, that's not how money works, right? You don't pay a thousand dollars to pay somebody else. That's not, mm -hmm. that's not an efficient way of doing it. Right. Right. That's how it works uh, now. Right. Exactly. Not even it's, that's worse than it works. Yeah. Now. Worse. Yeah. If you want to send me cash, um, it wouldn't be that difficult for you, right? I mean, yeah, you'd need, we'd need a third party to verify the transaction, like Visa or a bank or PayPal or Western Union or someone like that would have to verify the, the transaction, but we could do it, no problem. But when these fees are really high and the networks are congested, it becomes very difficult. So the solution that some people had was to raise the block size just a little bit. And uh, there was a lot of division in the community over this idea. A lot of people didn't want to do that so the, the the blockchain forked and the people who did raise the blockchain that, that ended up being called bitcoin cash or i'm sorry the block size mm -hmm. those who raised the block size that was called bitcoin cash and the chain which kept the original block size was btc and the way they address scaling is by using these sort of um using the lightning network which is like a bi-directional payment channel and the way that works is in other words you and i we fund a channel we put like let's say we put 50 dollars into a channel i put 50 you put 50. now you and i can transact instantaneously up to the amount of 100 dollars uh there's all sorts of reasons why i don't think that's the probably i don't, I don't think that's the best way to go about it primarily because those transactions don't occur on chain Mm -hmm. That occurs off-chain. That's not what Bitcoin right. is, as far as I'm concerned. Bitcoin has to be on-chain. So yeah, that's the point. Bitcoin Cash raises the block size a little bit, and transactions are basically free. They are processed almost instantly. And that's why, you know, if you look at what the Austrians wrote about money, like Menger, Mises, and Rothbard, mm -hmm. they all said that the primary function of money was uh, its, its role as a medium of exchange. And only when it, when, it, when it satisfies that role as exchange media, only then can it assume the secondary functions of money, such as value storage or credit facilitation or any of the, or unit of account or any of these other secondary functions. In order to, in order to, to, to function, uh, to, in order to, what am I trying to say here? In order to, uh, be useful for those secondary functions, it has to first be a medium of exchange. And that's why I don't think a high fee chain can be an efficient medium of exchange. 
Right. So that's why I like Bitcoin Cash. Now, BSV, their idea is that, all right, well, we're just going to have enormous blocks. Mm. Right. Their idea is Bitcoin Cash blocks are still too small for them. They want huge blocks so that you can really have lightning fast transactions on chain. Um, a lot of problems with this, though. Uh, number one, then it takes through. way too long for the transactions to actually get verified, right? Because you have to wait till the block is full. Before... Um, not necessarily, no, not necessarily. Um, the problem is centralization. Number one, uh, it becomes really expensive uh, to, to run a node when you have these huge blocks, right? Only like institutions can really afford to do it. But one of the things that I struggle with personally with, the, with these big blocks is, and this has happened, um, let's say, because with these big blocks, you can upload movies and albums and books and they, they'll live on the blockchain forever. Mm-hmm. And they've done it, right? That episode with Alex Jones on the Joe Rogan show, someone uploaded that to the BSV blockchain. So now for all of time, as long as there's, a, there's electricity pumping through, there's at least one BSV miner alive, you can watch that episode by accessing that block, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. They, call it, they sort of call it like a meta net, um, you know, building on top of the internet. I think that's cool. The problem is that um, you can also upload illicit material onto that blockchain. And people have uploaded things like kiddie porn. Sure. So now, if you're mining BSV in your house, you're technically hosting kitty porn on your servers. Mm-hmm. I don't like that. I, I think that's an obstacle to adoption. And the, the, the counter argument is, well, look, you know, money needs to be able to be used for illicit purposes. And I, I agree with that. It's just something I struggle with. Sure. I'm just not ready. You know, I'm sympathetic towards the BSV argument. I really am. But I just feel like BCH is a much more, uh, it's a better compromise right now. Right. So far, technologies, where the technologies at, who knows what's going to happen in 10 or 20 years. You know, we yeah. might be using, there might be a new coin that comes out that is able to uh, outcompete all the existing coins we've never heard of before. Maybe one of these next gen blockchains like Apollo or Cardano is going to sort of uh, usurp. Uh, Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, and Ethereum, which are like the main three currencies right now, you know. Yeah, that's the beautiful thing about all this crypto, the whole cryptocurrency space is just the the natural competition. Uh, yeah. That, that brings about like the, the, the best uh, possible way to do things that other currencies just don't have. Right. And it's, and it's great. You know, Hayek... Um, spoke about this a lot. He he wrote um, a little book, highly recommended. It's called The Denationalization of Currency. And he spoke about how we should sort of um, decouple the state from currency. And it was, he was really ahead of his time, if you think about it, where we are today with Bitcoin and stuff like that. It was really sure. sort, of, sort of foreshadowing to where we are. But um, he made the argument that if we had competing currencies, we would have, we would sort of shake out the winners and losers. And we would only be left with the most efficient medium of exchange. Yeah, just like every other market. Exactly, exactly. And that's the beauty, like you said, that's the whole beauty of cryptocurrency. But that's one of the problems with the tribalistic nature of crypto right now. It's like people get behind one coin and they'll just defend it, you know, blindly. 
Like, well, it's because they're like super invested in it, you know. Yeah, ex- I agree with you. I agree with you. So but that's not what's, good. Though. What's the uh, what's the argument against Bitcoin Cash and for like Bitcoin maximalists? Like, oh man, well <clears throat> they say that uh, it, it's too centralized. They say with the bigger blocks, we're all, we are already too centralized. You know, there's only like a handful of major BCH mining pools right now. Um, but the reason why they're wrong is that as, as adoption occurs, as mass adoption occurs, which it will, if you have the most efficient medium of exchange, we know from the study of economics in the Austrians that if you have the most sellable commodity, the market will narrow itself down to only, uh, until only the most sellable commodity is used as, an ex- as exchange media. So as adoption increases, merchants will um, be incentivized to run their own node, right? They want to verify their own transactions. They want to make sure these transactions are occurring, you know, in an appropriate fashion. Mm. So they're going to have an incentive to run uh, nodes. And I think that that's what the Bitcoin maximalists are missing. Yeah, right now it's sort of centralized. Not centralized. It's still more decentralized than any state or fiat currency. Right, and it's just more centralized than than BTC. But that's right. that's now. Like I said, as adoption occurs, merchants will be incentivized to run their own nodes, and that will bring about a more decentralized aspect of BCH. Right, like just like Bitcoin was more centralized, closer to its right. conception exactly. than it is now. Oh yeah. Right. Like like you know. Day one, right? The only person mining Bitcoin was Satoshi himself. Right. That's pretty damn centralized. <laughs> Thank you. Exactly. Right. And that's that, that's what they sort of miss. Now, no doubt, like the hash power on the BTC network is unmatched. It's definitely the strongest, uh, you know, it's the most secure network right now. But a lot of that is because of um, pre-existing network effects. And it's something that George Seldrin speaks about a lot. And it certainly is one of the strengths of BTC that they have the largest network effect right now. But that, that, that's, sub, that's a dynamic thing. That's not static, right? That, that's subject to change based on market conditions. So, um, you know, just because you have the largest network effect now, if you're not an efficient medium of exchange, you aren't going to hold that title forever, right? You're not, that's not a crown that the king wears. Mm-hmm. That's something that the, that the market bestows on you. Yeah. No, man, I totally feel that. It all makes sense. I mean, I just, I, I like that I was born in a time with the internet and not like, because the internet is just an amazing tool, man, because just with the, the, the possibility of, of the exchanging of information and the availability of information, the state just can't get away with the things that it used to and even if it does get away with it it's it's exposed in a way where people can start getting more sensitized to it like you know what i mean like i like we're able to see like with wikileaks that shit wasn't possible 30 years ago now that's why that's why WikiLeaks and, and Assange are so important. Well, and notice that's, that's... How, like 
everything that we're talking about, everything that we've discussed tonight has all, you can sort of summarize it all into saying that, um, you can, you can summarize it all into two words, and that's technological decentralization. Yeah. Because that's what technology is doing. It's sort of decentralizing these legacy systems. And it's empowering the individual at the expense of, like I said, these legacy stakeholders. So, you know, Bitcoin is decentralizing the monetary system. You know, Wikipedia decentralized uh, access to information. Mm-hmm. WikiLeaks decentralized journalism. Uber decentralized the taxi business. Airbnb decentralized the hotel business. 3D printing decentralized the manufacturing industry. Tokenization is is decentralizing the securities industry. We can go on and on and on forever. And that's why, you know, my personal life, I've really, my personal financial investments, I try to make in areas where I, I can sort of see room for decentralization. And I try to find those actors who are working to decentralize these legacy systems. And that's where I, I like to invest myself financially because that's, you know, historically that's, that, that's what pays the best. And oh, that's, yeah. that's most in line with my, my moral principles, you know? That's definitely, that's definitely the way to go for sure. One of my, I just read this relatively recently, probably my favorite book on political philosophy that I've read so far is um, The Rise and Fall of Society by Frank Chodorov. Have you heard of it? I've, I've, you know, I've never read that book, but I, I, I'm familiar with Chodorov and uh, he's a great yeah. writer. Yeah, it's, it's phenomenal because it's, it's kind of more of a more detailed version of Anatomy of the State where he takes a look at society and its relationship to the state. And he he puts it in a perspective that anyone reading it doesn't have, they're, they're able to immediately see through that conditioning that merges the two things together. And he talks about it in a way where you cannot help but to see them as two completely different things. And yeah. it's wonderful. It's wonderful. And he goes through every single chapter is him talking about how the state operates and and, and and eventually leads all the way up until the first half of the last chapter, which I ran into on um, Mises.org. Or Mises.org, I, I found this article and it, it and I was like, oh, my God, that was the most amazing, concise article I've ever read about the state and society. And I was like, what is this? And just, oh, it's an excerpt from this book. I got to get this fucking book. And I read through it and it's so great. It's so great all the way up until the second half of the last chapter. And, and the problem is, is he was writing in the 60s uh, when we didn't have this, um, this you know, decentralized technological boom that we've been having since since like, um, you know, the creation of the internet and everything like that. He basically is like, humans are always going to want to do or to get more uh, for doing less. And the rise and and fall of different states uh, throughout all of history isn't something unnatural. Like this is, this is a complete, completely natural tendency 
for humans to do. They go, I could just become this public servant and live off the system and, and do less for it. Or I could vote uh, to get more without having to work for it. Like, this is a natural tendency for humans to create these states and uh, have these states be parasites uh, to the point where they become so large that society just completely collapses and a new one arises and then another state becomes. And his, the end, the ending uh, is almost bittersweet because he was like, I don't see how this could possibly ever stop. He's like, the best case scenario that we have is to just try to slow the process down and just understand that this is inevitable. And it's sad because he wasn't able to see this. And, and, it, and, it, and it sucks because now I can understand having that viewpoint in the past. But at this point, with all of these really awesome decentralized technologies, that society where the state is almost or is non-existent, I, I can actually see as something feasible. Yeah, and it's and it's awesome. It's too bad Chodorov didn't get to see the rise of the 3D printers and all the things we're, we're discussing. You know what I mean? Because I agree with you. Well, you know, back then, in the in the in the, like you said, the pre-internet, the pre-digital age, what, what 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 was the hope? You know, that's why Rothbard struggled so much with with strategy. You know, he first he tried this sort of the old right and then this progressive libertarian alliance and that didn't work and then he went back to the old right and none of these strategies they all failed like the end caps always like fell right in their face mm -hmm. but the the philosophy of Konkin you know came about in the you know late 80s early 90s 2000s right right sort of buttressed up against the, the rise of the digital age and the whole cypherpunk movement of the 90s and stuff and it all sort of came together in this perfect whirlwind that leaves me to be much more confident than some of our predecessors of like the 60s and the 50s and the 40s like the Chodorovs and stuff like that you know who yeah. were you know understandably pessimistic right yeah if you should definitely, definitely put that book on your list. Up yeah, you can email me all these things. You got to DM me that uh, that 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 show, the book oh, that yeah. we're talking about. We've got all sorts of stuff. You got to DM me too. Oh man, absolutely. I I was blown. Chadorov writes in a way that you got to <laughs> fucking look look up shit that he says, like right. every page. Uh, but it's but it's totally worth it. It's so I I I was blown up because he talked about a lot of shit i already knew but he put it in a perspective that helped me understand it better and helped me be able to convey it to other people much better as well and it was just it's just so good i can't recommend a book anymore and then being able to apply what we know now to that second half of his book or the second half of the last chapter of his book you know makes it makes it even better I wish a lot of these guys would be able to would have been able to like live to see a lot of the advancements that we've been able yeah, to have when it comes to this kind of freedom. It's you too know, bad. like 
it's too bad Conkin couldn't have have lived to see what Gorzman became. You know, Wendy yeah. McElroy, who sort of was friends with Conkin back in the day, and she's still around, and she's still active in the Oris community. She just wrote an article for Agoras Nexus, um, <clears throat> which has quickly become the best libertarian or the best Agoras blog out there. Mm. But uh, one of the things she said is that um, we've really experienced quite a resurgence in the last 10, you know, 15 years, which is weird because Sam died in what, 2004? Mm-hmm. And like from the emergence of the Bitcoin white paper up until now, like, look at all the changes that have happened since since Sam Conkin, since yeah, his death. Massive, massive. Like, like 3D printing. We've ended the gun control debate. Ross Ulbricht has actually created the first truly free market that's ever existed in all of human history. Right? We have a, a peer-to-peer currency. Um, tokenized securities, drones, nanotechnology, all of it, like... If he could see just in just how what how the effect that his ideas had in, in like 15 short years, I think he would be astonished. And the same thing goes for Rothbard. Like it's too bad Rothbard died in like the mid 90s and he couldn't yeah. have lived like another like 30 years to see where we're at today. Because yeah. he would be so proud, I think, him yeah. and Conkin, all these guys, you know. Yeah. It's I mean, kind of. Yeah. We're all standing on their shoulders. Right. That's why, yeah. It's so cool. It's so cool being able to read about what these guys talked about and being able to apply it nowadays and and understand it and and be able to incorporate it into your worldview. Dude, learning is so fucking dope. <laughs> for, for real, I know. That's kind of what it comes down to for me. I love I, I love learning shit and 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 talking about it. I talked about this a lot on my last podcast episode where it was like I hate people that well I don't hate I don't hate people. I I hate it when people go into conversations thinking I'm right and I don't care what the fuck this other guy says. Right, I'm just, yeah. I and it's like I want like in a in a sense, like I want to be wrong because then that means that I'm able to grow and continue to shape my worldview closer to the truth instead exactly. of. And that's so that's so great. I mean, that's such a you know like a, a scientific worldview, but it's but it's but it's great and it's so freeing that way because you're not getting a knockdown drag out debates because you're just trying to you know I'm just trying to fucking learn. Right, right. Like, um, I don't know if you ever read, uh, like, how, like, philosophical you get, but, like, if you've ever read Plato and some of the Socratic dialogues, I'm, I'm a huge proponent of reading Plato. Um, I don't agree with all the conclusions that he makes, but, of course, you know, he was, you know, thousands of years ago, so you can't blame the guy for being wrong every now and then. Mm. He wasn't coming in the post-Rothbardian era by any means necessary. <laughs> But um, I think he did pretty good for what he was working with. But like that's the sort of like feeling you get from reading the dialogues is that you, he would he would debate these people who had these pre-existing ideas in their head, and they would just like, "Oh, you're an idiot, Socrates," and he'd be like, "Yeah, I know," and they'd be like, "What?" 
And he'd be like, I know I'm a moron. Help me out. What's the right answer? Mm-hmm. And like, he was genuine about it. Like he was like, he wasn't like being facetious. He was like, really like, Hey, look, I'm aware I'm an ignorant person. If you have anything you can teach me, please give me whatever, whatever information you have that I can use. I would appreciate it. And nine out of 10 times he found actually, you know, 10 out of 10 times Socrates would find that he was much smarter than the individuals speaking, right? At least he, he, um, he was aware of his own ignorance, whereas these other people were blinded by a false sense of confidence. Yeah. And that's sort of the same thing that I think you're talking about. Right. Yeah. I, it comes up a lot. Like if I'm like in an argument with, with my girlfriend or something and she ends up being right, she's like, ha, I'm fucking right in your face. And I'm like, okay, thank you. cool. <laughs> yeah. It's like, thank you. And, it, and, it, and, and, and she's so used to um, like a lot of her other relationships in the past, like being super confrontational and being like, oh no, fuck you. Like I'm fucking, right. and, 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 and then like, I'm just yeah, like yeah. accepting of it. I'm like, right. oh, great. We've come to a, you know, a conclusion here. And she's like, what do I do? <laughs> it's hilarious. The problem that it. a lot of libertarians have is like people want to argue with us, but like you're saying like, Hey, if you make a good point, God bless. You know, thank you. Yeah. You know, and they're just like, what? Yeah, man. No, oh, I love it. That's why that's the kind of that's the kind of debates that or conversations that people should have. That's why, you know, people are talking about, oh, the presidential debates coming up. It's like I can't think of something I want to fucking watch less than that bullshit. <laughs> I know. I know. That's fucking crazy. Like, no. I, I don't want to touch that freaking 10-foot pole, man. I would prefer man. to go through minor surgery than to watch those two geriatric pedos uh, <laughs> argue over, you know, how much money they're going to steal from me or what rights they think I shouldn't shouldn't have. It means absolutely nothing to me. You know, the only reason I can see an agorist should be watching these debates is to find out what regulations we're going to be having to, you know, evade in the future. Yeah. But other than that, it's just, you know, it's nonsense. It's, it's what it is. It reminds me of like a cult, like a, like a cult ritual. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like ritual behavior from a cult. It's like they have to get together and put their two gods up and they have to face each other down. My guy won. No, my guy won. No one's opinion is changing based on these debates. Fuck. They're no. just looking for their own. No, they're just trying to to validate their pre-existing beliefs, and that's what they're being used for. And it's all about gotcha moments. And the vice presidential debate was even worse because somehow now Kamala Harris won just by giving off like sassy looks, like I gotcha, like these weird faces, and like that's now that's that's how the left is going to try to seize the day by being like girl power, and like <sighs> it's just it's fucking crazy. It's crazy. Lar- uh, Larkin Rose is the one that really helped me, uh, like, understand that that cult, like, religious aspect to politics, because that's that's what it is, man. Like, yeah. it, you know, it's so wild, and and I can understand. You know, there's a lot of people like us that'll be like, oh, you know, entertainment value, but for me, it's it's difficult to find entertainment in like real shit, you know, like if I'm watching a movie, 
about the world exploding, that can be fun to watch. But if I'm like watching people in the process of exploding our actual world, it's not going to be that fucking entertaining for me to watch because I'm like, this is, this is real. These people are fighting to rule and over and oppress us. I, it's difficult for me to see through that to find some sort of entertainment value. Well, it has to be cultish. It has to be like a cult because how else do you get people to send their children off to the other side of the world to die for some politician they've never met? It's only vis-a-vis a cult, that, like indoctrination, that you can achieve that. Um, yep, absolutely. And when, you know, I think the state found that it's much easier to indoctrinate people into cult-like behavior than it is to draft people into the military and draft them into your wars and, and to enslave them because then you get riots and mm. you know people push back but if they're indoctrinated then they yeah. want to go fight for you and that, that that i think they found that out around the civil war that it's much easier to to, to get people to die that way but you know or offer them up just, like a good ass deal Right. Get all this health care, exactly. get paid, exactly. get a house, get food, get you're, get your you school know, paid you know, for. The, the whole idea is that, you know, you're, you're too dumb to determine what you're worth on an hourly basis. But mm-hmm. thank God for you, you have these wise and benevolent politicians to figure it out for you, right? You know, you're, you and I, we're, we're too stupid to, to understand how important it is to save for retirement but thank God we have these wise and benevolent politicians to steal our money and put it into a social security fund for us, right? You're too dumb to know how important healthcare is. So I'm gonna, sh- I'm gonna put a gun to your head and shoot you if you don't buy my shitty healthcare policy, right? That's the only way you can convince people of this shit is if they've been brainwashed and indoctrinated, you know? How, and, you I, know. I, I was gonna say like, I, when people are having the healthcare debate, I don't see how it's not painfully obvious when you have like Bernie Sanders, like when they were having the the uh, um, the primary debate for the Democrats when they were debating on healthcare, and it was like, okay, we need to have a public option, and like, granted, I I don't agree, but I understand um, the the want for that possibly, but then first for a few of them to stand up and say we need to outlaw the private option is is wild that that a a third party listener can look at that and be like okay if your public option is so good then why the fuck do you need to outlaw the private option how do you not see through that it well it's the same reason why they want to ban homeschooling yeah right? they, like, they, they what? don't they know that if there's an option out there that's more efficient, there's no reason for people to use it. It's the same reason why they've banned alternative currencies, right? Because if, if, if they're, you know, if you can use a gold for transactions, why the hell would you use dollars? No, nobody in the right mind would use dollars, yeah. right? So it's the same thing goes with like their healthcare policies and all the other crap. Yeah, I always said like when when I when I get into like a, a conversation with someone about uh, like Bitcoin, uh, they're like, "Well, you know, why isn't it you know getting massively adopted and all this? Why are people still using 
American dollars. And it's like, because we're, we're essentially forced to, like you have to pay taxes with us currency. Everyone, everyone uses it. It's what, what the, the U S government uses and all this. And I say like, if, if that were to just go out the window and we were to have an actual free market on currency, the U.S. dollar would be dropped. Oh, forget it. No one in the right within, mind. Within the year. I mean, it, like, it, it would be insane how quicker. quickly that shit would go out the window. Not only that, but, like, you know, the proof is in the pudding, right? Right now, one U.S. dollar is, like, I'm sorry, one Bitcoin is worth, like, almost 12,000 U.S. dollars. So, like, what's more valuable? You know what I mean? Like, it just goes to show you Quite how... obviously. <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, you know, even like the smaller cryptocurrencies, like one Dash is worth 70 times the value of $1. So, like, it just goes to show you the value is already there, right? Like, it's like you said, if there wasn't a gun behind behind the politician, there would be no, no reason to abide by these rules. Nobody in their right mind... Uh, would would use would would buy their shitty healthcare policies would use their shitty currencies would you know who the hell would contract with the police department known for murdering for murdering people right could you imagine if like <clears throat> you were picking out i don't know retail stores and you're like well walmart yeah walmart kills a lot of their customers but i'm gonna go there anyway you wouldn't go to Walmart if they were known for shooting their customers. Why should I be forced <clears throat> to do business with the police department known for murdering their customers, right? Just, or, or if Walmart like were to say, there wasn't a yeah, or, or if Walmart were to come out and say, yeah, um, we don't actually acknowledge that, um, that, that, that we're willing to give a quality product to our people. Uh, to our customers right, right, right. and it's like that's not what, our job right? yeah like what we're just here to exist and be a place for people to go to get stuff but when it comes to the individual customer we're not really obligated to provide you with an actual quality product be like um i'm not going to walmart anymore <laughs> it, <laughs> or, or even worse like go to like um like traffic court right any municipal traffic court is the best example of, of injustice you can find because it's it's laid out right in front of your eyes, right? There's no trial. There's no semblance of justice whatsoever. It's like an assembly line. All right, well, here's what you're, you got a speeding ticket. We'll knock it down a few miles an hour so you don't pay. Instead of paying 50 bucks, you pay 35 bucks. You pay at the counter. Mm -hmm. That's obviously like no one in their right mind thinks that that's justice, right? That, that That's just a revenue factory, right? Yeah. So it's like, at the end of the day, the state doesn't even, yeah, they try to hide it. They try to hide, you know, they try to seem like they have good intentions. But when it comes down to it and their, and their hand is forced, they'll look you right in the eyes and they'll say, hey, fuck you and fuck you. You know what I mean? Yeah. You guys are our slaves and you belong to us. And that's, you're going to do as we say or else. Mm -hmm. ask, ask John McAfee, right? Yeah. 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 He just got, he just got grabbed up, didn't he? For not for not you know handing over uh, his his personal income, and if you read the accusations against this man, they say this is the craziest thing in the world to me that they say he recommended the use of bad currency. Okay, if that's the case, go take Jerome Powell and tie him to the barricades along with uh, Ben Bernanke and Janet Yellen. 
Because if recommending the use of a bad currency is going to should land you in jail, guess what? Everybody <laughs> who works in the Federal Reserve banking system has a lot to account for. Yeah, you know? exactly. Crazy. Maybe we should enforce that one. I mean, that probably yeah, wouldn't right, be too bad. Right. <laughs> Get thrown towel. You know, I had a meme the other day where I was like, uh, it was um, Steve Mnuchin talking to uh, Jerome Powell. It was like, hey, Jerry, what comes after a trillion? Because like it's like pretty soon we're going to get there. Yeah. Hey, like right now we're laughing about it. But like the Fed's balance sheet is we're 20 percent of all U.S. dollars in circulation were created this year. That's so crazy, man. Like I don't see how people don't understand how bad that is like that's so bad i mean a year and a half from now people are really gonna be feeling that shit and it's oh they'll they'll, they'll put it off as long as they can and you know we know from rothbard that you can't time these things you know economics doesn't tell you when things will happen but it does tell you what is going to happen so you know there will be a reckoning we just don't know when yeah and the people the libertarians especially if you're out there you're listening Prepare yourself for this because we know it's coming. It's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. And the best way to prepare yourself, in my opinion, is to buy cryptocurrency. Get yourself, I like Bitcoin Cash and privacy coins like Monero and Dash, but get yourself some silver and gold as well. Um, you know, remove yourself from the fiat banking system to the greatest degree possible. I'm almost 100% out of, out of fiat. Um, and it was the best decision I've ever made for myself. I, I've been only using cryptocurrency basically with a couple interruptions for probably the last five or six years. And it's, oh, wow. it's the best decision I've ever made in my entire life. Oh, that sounds great. Wish I could be at that point. I, I would never go back. I would never go back. And just, just based on the, the morality of it, right? Like I think about those kids in Yemen and I'm like, yeah. do I want to pay for that? I don't want to pay for that or like the weddings that we bomb. I don't want to pay for that shit. Like I don't want that on my conscience. I just, yeah. it's just immoral to me yeah. or, or the, the, the welfare, the enslavement of my friends and family and neighbors who I see just bogged down in, in this disgusting welfareism. you know, I don't want to pay for that. I don't want to do that to them. Yeah. The only way I'm able to avoid it is by removing myself from the fiat banking system. Yeah, man. Trust me, I'm fucking. I understand that <laughs> pretty, pretty, wow. you know, pretty firsthand. But um, yeah, man. Um, I'm gonna have to get going here in a minute. But this has been a really fun conversation for sure. Yeah, we should do this again. What was this? episode number three, right? Four? For me, yeah, number three. Okay. Okay, yeah, and we're not counting the original. The real number one with me yeah, and the real number one. Yeah, yeah. I wish I'll. I still got. I still got. Bonus episode or something like that. As a as a what? Like a bonus episode one day. Bonus. Yeah, that's yeah, that's what I was about to say. Like have like a like a little legacy episode or something. Yeah, yeah. That was a good episode. It was. So, yeah, that was fun. We should definitely try and do like one of those again with me, you, and yeah. Pete. I liked that. I think I'm gonna have Pete on the Agora next week. I got some, I got a, one of my listeners sent in a um, an email with a bunch of questions on like how you know all the intricacies that we were talking about earlier of like how private courts would work in, in the Agora and stuff like that. So I think me and Pete are gonna go through that probably next week. 
I'll get that episode out towards the end of next week, and we'll we'll go through those questions and uh, hopefully lay out some answers. Yeah. It should be a good one. Yeah, that'll be cool. Yeah, for sure. All right, man. Well, where um, I guess for the people listening, they could find you on like what Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all that shit. Snapchat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Snapchat, of course. Sell me weather. Um, Twitter yeah. at selling me weather. So uh, many nudes on Snap. Just saying. yeah, that's all it is. <laughs> nudes and memes. Um, I'm on Facebook at Abolish Gun Free Zone. You can check that that page out, and um, that's it. Buy a 3D printer from 3dprinterglobe.com. You can play with BTC, BCH, or Ethereum. We prefer that to USD shitcoin, of course. <laughs> and uh, take the power back. USD, and, the original shitcoin. Yeah, the real shitcoin. Yeah, for sure. I, yeah. I definitely am trying to... Getting a 3D printer is definitely on my list. I mean, right right now I'm trying to save as much as I can. Um, but, yeah, as soon as I get in like an actual comfortable place, it's going to be probably one of my first purchases because that's really cool. Check out the V2. Um it's a good machine. I, I really like it for its price. It's 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 the newest uh, iteration of the Ender printers, mm. and um, it's got it's it runs really quiet. It's got an HD color screen. It's 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 the cat's meow. It's it's the it's the highest end Ender to date, and I think it's only like you get it for like three fifteen at three D printer go So check it out. Oh hell yeah! All right, man. Well, that is, that is the end of this episode. Thank you, sir. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tavern Talk, everyone. If you liked what you heard here, you can find our guest on all the platforms that they talked about. And also, you can follow me on social media. You've got Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all that jazz. And if you wish to support the show, you can find me on Patreon, patreon.com slash Dylan Allman, where you can help support the show. And I would very much appreciate it. It's not cheap keeping all this stuff set up. We've got some cool rewards there and everything. But anyway, thanks for watching. I hope you join us on the next one and hope you have a good one. Peace.